dramatically while the pay and bonuses of water company directors have rocketed. He's calling for an inquiry by the government into the role of the industry regulator Ofwat, which he claims doesn't get tough enough with water companies over leakage rates. The Church of England is to review its investments after it emerged that it indirectly helped fund the launch of the controversial payday lender Wonga. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, had said he wanted to force Wonga out of business by expanding a network of credit unions to compete against it. Thousands of people who lost savings in the collapse of Aylesbury-based Equitable Life may never get compensation. The Public Accounts Committee says many people will miss out because of the poor way the compensation scheme has been managed. Lee Agnew has the details. It took an entire decade for the government to agree that compensation should be paid to those who lost out. But a scathing report by the spending watchdog says little is being done to contact former policyholders before the deadline next March, with over 200,000 people likely to miss out. And it's emerged the Treasury destroyed the names and addresses of more than 300,000 policyholders provided by the Equitable Members Action Group on grounds of data protection. Bedfordshire is one of the least active counties in the country, according to research by Sport England. The Active People Survey also suggests Hertfordshire residents are among the most active. Here's Barry Caffrey. Bedfordshire has seen a fall in sport participation among the over-16s since 2005, when London was chosen to host the Olympics. The latest figures show that 31% of adults are active. In Hertfordshire, that figure is 39%, and in Buckinghamshire, 37.8%. They are both unchanged since 2005. In tonight's football, Stevenage take on a Manchester United 11 in a friendly tonight at the Lamex. The weather fine and dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 25 degrees Celsius, that's 77 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Now, Catherine Boyle, for some reason earlier this week, I, uh, week, I cannot remember what, uh, we decided we were all going to dress up smart. I decided we were all going to dress up smart and uh, have a smart dress Friday. Yes. Why didn't you? I'm joking! You look adorable, my darling. Would you like to describe your outfit? Well, I'm wearing a little um, chiffon um, overlaid dress. A little bit of sequin for the daytime. I think it's a bit uh, not risque. You know, I'm covered up. It's a little bit of sequin. It looks very, very nice. You look lovely. You've had a wash. You smell nice. Thanks. You've done your hair. Bit of lippy. Mm -hmm. You're not bad when you put an effort into it. Well, thanks very much. You're not so bad yourself. There we go, you see? Is that a stick-on dicky bow? Yes, it is. Thank you. Yes. For medical reasons, of course. For medical reasons. It is Smart Friday. If you've dressed up smart for it... They won't have done. Then do send us a photograph of yourself. I'd, lo- I'd, love to s- I'd love to see my listeners smart. I can't imagine you in smart clothes. Let's have a little look. Post them on facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Lots coming up this morning. Including Stuart Hall was his 15-month prison sentence for assaulting young girls too short. Well, today, three appeal court judges will consider whether it was unduly lenient. Let us know what you think. 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Are you happy with the size of your water bill? Customers in the three counties are the victims of a great rip-off, according to Conservative MP Robert Halfen. He says bills have risen dramatically, while the pay and bonuses of water company directors have rocketed. The thing that gets me... Is there so many leaks in these pipes and we're paying for it? And it's Smart Dress Friday. What are you wearing? I've got a tuxedo on. Pictures to follow. 
Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward... I can't breathe with this tile, though, a little bit. Facebook... It's true. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or... Phone calls, please. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and butts. <laughs> this is BBC Three Counties Radio. So just clearing my throat there. I do apologise. Now... The uh, Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire has appointed a former BBC journalist to be his deputy. David Lloyd appointed David Gibson, a resident in the same village, as the commissioner to do the job on a £50,000 a year salary. Well, political, political reporter Paul Scoynes was at the meeting last night in Stevenage where this was discussed. Paul, what happened? Uh, well, Ian, the panel held this new deputy to account. It's quite a grilling, actually. We learned quite a bit about the deputy and a bit about his background. Mm. His uh, father was a prison governor. He spent many Christmases in prison, he said. Uh, he's a former BBC journalist. He's got experience here in the UK and also overseas in Washington. He worked in local radio network programmes, uh, like the Today programme, for example, and was also then a senior editor at the... Uh, uh, BBC News Radio, and um, you know he's from Flamstead. He's a parish councillor, or was parish councillor, and he was also a school governor too, as was David Lloyd. They know each other quite well, don't they? Yeah, they do, and that was quite a recurrent question from the panel. They obviously, as I've said, both worked in the same village, or both live in the same village, and they have worked together. Um, Commissioner Lloyd did say that he knew most of the applicants he certainly knew all of the candidates who went forward for an interview uh, and david gibson did say that that shouldn't have been a barrier just because they live in the same village doesn't preclude him from applying for the job and david lloyd did say it was important to work with someone he knew well and knew he could work with so is his title uh, deputy police and crime commissioner yes that's right does he have any policing experience at all well none that i know of i mean he, okay. he obviously takes an interest in in home affairs from his news as uh, you know from his role as journalist and 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 has been involved in in running departments and so on i think that's probably more of interest to david lloyd and if you look at the job description yep there's nothing actually in that job description about having to have a sort of criminal justice background, if you like. Um, the, the job description says that the candidate would have senior management level experience, perhaps in a sensitive political environment, uh, or you know, experience with working with politicians, certainly does have that, experience of working at a strategic level, uh, and experience of working in the public eye, and also highly developed interpersonal skills as well. So you would expect somebody you know, who's worked in newsrooms to have had that um, experience and uh, David Lloyd said, who better to hold me to account, you know, within my team than a, than a journalist? He said he, uh, David Lloyd said he wanted someone with all-round uh, sort of experience who could perhaps be someone who could take up some of the pressure of his work. Um, he said he's not, you know, he's been to, there's, there's been some meetings where he's not come, he's not been to them. Uh, and, and, you know, perhaps the deputy could have been there in those situations. Uh, and also somebody who he could bounce ideas around as well. He said this was clearly something, a role, uh, you know, developing policy helping to push forward his police and crime plan would be something uh, that he would want to be able to do and, and with these deputy and, and he said he certainly could do with with david gibson he's clearly had a long and uh, distinguished career at the bbc uh, wasn't there a communications job going yes and that's still being recruited we heard last night and and we also heard <clears> that this role excuse me would would actually be in charge of the entire police communications operation or certainly would be working at that high level within that team so whether that then it would be an recruitment a recruitment involving the police we don't know this 
this role was supposed to have been recruited by now, mm. should have been recruited by the time the deputy was announced. So it, it's interesting to see whether or not he's holding fire on that. We don't know. So uh, the, you know, the, the, the panel did ask, well, surely somebody with Mr Gibson's experience in working in newsrooms and so on would be ideally suited to that sort of role. Mm. Uh, David Lloyd said that the um, deputy wouldn't have the time to do both roles, and that's why he wanted him for this one. Uh, you say it was uh, that there was a grilling last night. Did it go through okay? Yeah, it did. I mean, it was a grilling. Um, there was certainly a lot of sort of unrest in the panel. Uh, eight votes to three against it went in the end. The leader That's was, quite clear cut, isn't it? It was quite clear cut, yes, absolutely. Um, the leader of, of, of Stevenage Borough Council, Sharon Taylor, who will be on the programme later, she said she would be voting against the, uh, the, the uh, deputy on principle, not because of who he was, but because the position wasn't elected. So therefore it, no. she felt it was undemocratic. Um, uh, so it's pretty much official. I should say, though, that after... I did sort of ask a couple of panel members to see if they could talk to me or, or not or us tomorrow, uh, today, and... Um, uh, it was quite interesting. I've got a, a, an email from one of the panel members who's since stepped down mm. since yesterday, although he he didn't attend last night. And um, the reason he wanted to do that, wanted, wanted to step down, is that he didn't want to be associated, quote, with a body that is such a toothless, worthless, ineffectual waste of time, money and space, unquote. And I think that gives us sort of a, a little bit of an insight into how the panel members feel. They feel they have no veto over this decision. Mm. They couldn't have, uh, you know, objected to it, or they could have objected, but it wouldn't have made any difference. The commissioner still could have put it through. So I think the, the actual the panel themselves are still very much finding their feet and feeling pretty at the moment, feeling sort of pretty out of the loop at the moment, I think. Paul Scoynes, thank you very much. What, one more question. Would you like to join me in the safety dance? <laughs> Always. your friends don't dance and if they don't dance well they're no friends of mine i say we can go where we want to a place where they will never find and we can act like we come from out of this world leave the real one far behind and we can dance Dance. Oh, let's save the dance. 
Three Counties Radio, the team have dressed up smart for you, dear listener. It's not in any way to massage our own egos and try and feel good about ourselves. A photograph has been taken and will be posted shortly facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or the Twitter at BBC 3CR. If you want to give us a call about any of the things uh, we're talking about this morning, including on the back of dressing up, uh, dressing up smart, Justin raised an interesting point yesterday. You don't see people wearing suits to work anymore. If you go to London, if you travel on the tube, or if you travel on the train in the three counties, no one wears suits anymore. Is this country going down the pan? 6.15, let's get the travel news. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Things looking pretty good out there so far today. No accidents or incidents reported. Roads are flowing well. No delays right now on the M25 through the roadworks. The A40 looking good in Stoke and Church. This is despite roadworks that are going on at the moment. Temporary traffic lights are up for works as you go past Wickham Road in Stoke and Church and will be there for at least another week or so. Also works in St Albans along Catherine Street. They're doing roadworks at Etna Road. And if you're going a little bit further along the A4147 into Hemel Hempstead, you're going to find roadworks at Pickott's End. They're doing those for another few days. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, have you dressed up smart? No, because nobody sent me the memo. Well, I think you could maybe take a hint from that. Charming. Right, 6.16, it's Friday the 26th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire's Police and Crime Commissioner has appointed a former BBC journalist to be his deputy. Water customers in the three counties are the victims of a great rip-off, according to Conservative MP Robert Halfham. In sport, the ladies' European Masters event begins today at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club in Denham. Coming up, Bedfordshire, you are so lazy, look at the state of you! Hey, don't blame me, I'm just reading it off a screen, but it's pretty much true, isn't it? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Original British drama on BBC One. John Luther, you're under arrest. I haven't done any of the things they're saying I did. Time's running out! You have to get Mary out of there right now! Do it! 
You said that if I called the police. Not the police. I was the police, but I'm not anymore. Who the hell are you then? Alice, what are you doing here? Seems to me your conscience has killed more people than I have. Luther, four hours back to back. If you missed it, the whole series is available now to watch on BBC iPlayer. Then you played with older boys and prefects What's the attraction in what they're doing? Hey, Carrie what's your game now? Can anybody play? Hey, Carrie what's your game now? Can anybody play? You're always something special to me Quite Charm as you were aging Where is your magic disappearing? Hey, Carrie What's your game now? Can anybody play? Hey, Carrie What's your game now? Can anybody play? Obviously, obviously the Hollies. There was a member of our team who should know better, who present. I'm not going to mention any names, but he presents a Saturday morning music show who thought that was the Beach Boys. Oh, isn't that outrageous? Obviously the Hollies. What a muppet. Is Bedfordshire a bit lazy? Well, it seems that people in beds are doing less exercise now than they were before the Olympics. 
The Games, as we all know, were supposed to be the catalyst to get more people active, particularly adults, but apparently it's had the opposite effect in Bedfordshire. That's according to a survey which looked at the number of people doing at least 30 minutes of exercise a week. Well, Sport England's Active People Survey is carried out every year, and these comparisons are made between 2005, when London was selected to host the Games, and 2013, which is the year now. It's not that much better in Bucks and Hearts, where the Olympic effect appears to have had no influence at all and caused no change in either direction. But some are getting their heart rate up. And one sport that's become popular in South Bucks is... Nordic walking. No, I don't know what that is either. Why don't we listen to our reporter, Barry Caffrey, who went to visit an instructor in his class and find out exactly what Nordic walking is. Ciao, Fonts and Giles, styley. Folks, you all got your poles? We've got them in the right hands. We've got lefts and rights on lefts and rights. Not mixed up today. Yes, we have. That's good. Right, first thing we're going to do is a warm-up, uh, ready for the walk. And we'll I'm Duncan Barrett. I'm 70-odd years old. I'm a retired architect. And here we are in the glorious village of Chalfont St Giles in the Chilterns. We're going to have a Nordic walking session this morning, and there's 15 of us all rearing to go. You can hear the chatter in the background. Everybody's happy, full of fun, and wanting to get fit. And everybody's got their sticks with them. They have poles or sticks. We've all got our poles now. And the other point is everybody is, you know, normally dressed as well. They've all got a glove on their left hand and right hand. But yep. apart from their gloves... It's just comfortable clothing for walking in the countryside. Some people have got trainers, some walking boots. But there's no real investment. Tell me how you got into Nordic walking. When I retired um, some ten years ago, I wanted to get fit again because I'd always been heavily involved in rugby and cricket. And in my last 20 years of business life, I'd put on an awful lot of weight through the sedentary lifestyle. Went back to the gym, found it totally boring, and thought, what can we do? Got together with some other people in the village and we set up a 60-plus social and fitness club, uh, which is very active, got a lot of members in it, people ranging from 50, funnily enough, up to 90. Janice, how about yourself? You've spent the morning kind of walking around. It's a lovely day here in this yes, field. Yes, But is it difficult to do or would it be something that you'd recommend people to do? I would recommend it. I love walking anyway, so this is just an extra bonus using the upper body as well as your legs. And how long have you been doing it for? A very, very short time. Mine was introduced by my company as a result of the Olympics and um, I just loved it. So you would say that you're really taking part in Nordic walking as a direct result of the Olympic Games? Would be really, yes. Yes. Well, I'm here with Barbara. How did you get involved in this? I went to a training course that Duncan was running at Holtzburg near Beaconsfield. It was a 10-week course. Decided I need to do some exercise when I retired and so got involved in this and it's very social as well, so it's very good. What made you, was it the Olympics that kind of spurred you on or was there anything that kind of made you take up Nordic walking? I think it was looking for something that was both social and some form of exercise. So it wasn't directly as a result of the Olympics, but of course, seeing all the activity going on, it did prompt you to get out and do something. Well, that's Nordic walkers in Chalfont St Giles speaking with our reporter Barry Caffrey. Lloyd Conaway is director of Team Beds and Luton. He also chaired the Boost Group, Bedfordshire's group working to realise the benefits of London. 2012 on all local communities. Uh, morning, Lloyd. It would appear from this survey, Beds is a little bit lazy. It's going in the wrong direction. Yeah, we've had a bit of a blip, unfortunately. We mm. were going in the right direction, but the last survey, so yeah, we need to get more active and more people more active more often, really. Do we need to? Listen, I, I admire everything you're setting out to achieve. I don't want to demean your, your great work, but there's nothing wrong with sitting at home 
eat, eating a pizza in your pants, is there? Well, it's a bit of a balance, really. Right, you know, a balance. Think, you want yeah, a balance, OK. Yeah, I think that's, that's the correct thing to say. It's a balance. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It, it, obviously, there's some health benefits, uh, but I think if you get a bit preachy with people, we know we, that doesn't work. No. We, we, we know you can divide people into three, really. I think about 25% of people love sport and will do it anyway. About 25% of people hate it and will never, ever do it, whatever you say. Mm. And then there's that 50% in the middle who can be nudged. Mm. And what we need to do is nudge more people in Bedfordshire, really. So what exactly... You chaired the Boost group. What was that exactly? Yeah, well, it was about trying to realise the benefits locally. So it was about trying to get more people volunteering, more people into leadership, more people into coaching, more people into participation. But it was also a group that tried to realise the benefits culturally as well. So getting Mm. people involved in music and dance and literature and the arts around London 2012. And it was very, very successful. Mm. Have you noticed that uh, the Olympics have inspired people across Bedfordshire? Have you seen changes despite this this survey? Oh yeah, you can you can give lots and lots of personal, really wonderful personal stories. And for example, we've had five hundred people who have got involved in a thing called Sport Makers, inspired to volunteer really, mm. and they've all given at least ten hours of, of volunteering. And volunteering is this the since the Olympics? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is this this started in September. Right after the games and then we've had 2,000 young people get involved in a programme called Sport of Eight we've had two school games sort of mini school Olympics really Mm. uh, uh, young people getting involved in sport at a competitive level because there's often criticism that we're not competitive enough and uh, oh you're not you're not allowed to have winners and losers oh you can't do that anymore because of course that's ridiculous and winning and losing of course that's an important lesson to learn isn't it yeah and young people understand that you know even at primary school level young people understand if they you know some people's going to win the egg and spoon race and some other people aren't and young people understand that but it's about doing it well and giving people lots of opportunities and there are some fantastic opportunities going on in Bedfordshire we just need to get more people active (laughs) and you're right I think it is is young um, listen I'm an old fart you're not going to change my opinion but I've got a boy who's three and a half he loved the Olympics last year and he was running and jumping in the back garden he loved Wimbledon this year he's been bouncing a ball around and it is grabbing them young isn't it And, and encouraging them in that way for sure and legacy isn't you know, there's there's been some amazing legacy examples recently. Andy Murray. Mm. You know, there's always this this spike of activity in tennis at Wimbledon, but Murray winning Wimbledon has been incredible. The Lions with rugby, the Ashes. Uh, uh, there are some amazing sporting uh, things going on this summer, and there will be inspiration going out there, and lots of people and lots of young people want to want really want to aspire to do these things. Uh, what's this program you're starting in October? Well, we're doing a thing called Get Healthy, Get Into Sports, which is about, which is really working with those 25% people that really don't want to get active, but they're in danger of getting into real How are you going to get them active if they don't want to? It's a tough job. Yeah. It's about, it's almost one-on-one-y, and it's right. having a mentor, giving them something that they enjoy, uh, going in at the appropriate level, literally holding their hand through the process and hoping to get them into sustainable activity. So, for example, if somebody's in danger of of, of, type, of, of developing type 2 diabetes, perhaps because mm. they're, they're, they're obese or they're, and they need to be referred by their doctor, they get a mentor who designs a programme specifically for them. So they might say, well, I, I actually enjoyed playing badminton at school, mm. but I don't know where to go. I don't know where to play. I'm not very good. I'm not very fit. And so it's about getting them in 
at the right level and getting them involved in, and having fun. Mm. We might send our reporter Justin Dealey along for a bit of that because he is terribly unfit. He, he looks very smart in his suit. He needs to get us a T-shirt and shorts on. He needs to. He, we have to do that. And very quickly, your son's... Is it your son who's cycling, lands into John O'Groats and you're helping by driving a car is that right and yeah yeah that's that's quite physically active in driving the, he needs the support so you'll be leaning out way. come on boy quicker is that what you'll be doing <laughs> that's what i'm going to do in ice baths every uh, 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 in the evening lloyd thank you very much nice to meet you lloyd conaway director of team beds and luton uh, and chair of the boost group bedfordshire's group working to realize the benefits of london 2012 on local communities Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Just having a look at the train departure boards, and at the moment there are no major disruptions, no problems out there. One cancellation I've just spotted, though, if you're heading to Luton, the 6.43 service, which was planning on running all the way through to Bromley South, that's been cancelled because a member of the train crew is unavailable. Everything else, though, looking fine. No problems reported on the roads, and indeed the cameras are showing no delays as yet this morning. The M1 running clear, the A1M looking absolutely fine as you go through the Hatfield Tunnel, and no delays that I can spot on the M40 either, if you're making a journey in toward London that way, or maybe off toward Oxford. Things looking good on the M25 despite the works, routes into London looking clear as well, and no delays on the tubes either. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning with the 6.30 News and Sports. I'm Catherine Boyle. Hertfordshire's Police and Crime Commissioner has appointed a former BBC journalist to be his deputy. Water companies in the three counties are the victims of a great rip-off, according to the Conservative MP Robert Halfen. And the Church of England is to review its investments after it emerged that it indirectly helped fund the launch of the controversial payday lender Wonga. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. In golf, the ladies' European Masters event begins today at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club in Denham. Bedford's Holly Aitchison is one player involved and she says the standard of competition will be high. There's quite a few big names playing at Buckinghamshire, actually. Yeah. We've got uh, Laura Davis, she's going to tee it up. Mm. And we've got people like Kari Webb, who has uh, had an amazing year already throughout the world. She plays in America, she's Australian, mm. won a few majors. Yeah, the, the field is actually extremely good. The London Anniversary Games begin today at the Olympic Stadium. Bedford's Nigel Levine competes in the 400 metres. Wellington's Jodie Williams is in the 200 metres. But there's no Greg Rutherford due to injury. But Luton's Deji Tobias runs in the 100 metres. The Olympic heptathlon champion Jessica Ennis-Hills also confirms she'll compete tonight and says her Achilles injury has responded well to treatment. In football, Luton Town lost last night's friendly against Dunstable 2-0. Tonight, Wickham Wanderers have a friendly away to Oxford City. And finally, a survey of local clubs in Bedtime Hearts and Bucks has shown an increase in membership in the year since the Olympic Games. The snapshot of cycling, hockey and rowing clubs shows that although some have seen a drop in numbers, the majority have had a rise in membership. More details now from Ben Nye. The largest rise was in cycling, with an overall increase of more than 11%. One club in High Wycombe gained 90 extra members in the year. Hockey had a more mixed picture, with overall an 8% increase, but some clubs showed a significant decrease. In rowing, Star Club in Bedford had 23 new members this year and the club said there'd been a rise in the numbers of people trying out the sport since London 2012. And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at 7 o'clock. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Stuart Lee. Uh, Stuart Lee. And there we go. Look at that. Shameful. Stuart Hall, of course. In no way connected with Stuart Lee, apart from sharing the first name, or even though they spell it differently. Uh, Stuart Hall's uh, sentence of 15 months uh, for uh, abusing young girls is going to be looked at later on. Do you think he got away lightly? Should his uh, sentence be extended? And do you think you're getting ripped off with your water bills? They're very pricey, aren't they? 08459... Four double five five double five, and if you want to see us all looking smart, facebook.com forward slash BBC Three CR. Front pages, yes, we shall. I'm all tongue tied this morning. I don't know, I'm a little, a little bit tongue tied. Maybe it's because it's nearly the freaking weekend, baby. And I'm about to have me some fun to quote um, our Lord and Master R. Kelly. The Times uh, pictures of the train crash uh, in Spain that killed uh, 80 passengers. There are now pictures in other newspapers of um, the, the comments al- uh, allegedly uh, linked to the driver of the train where he posted on Facebook pictures of the uh, train speedometer. Uh, at ridiculous speeds and saying things like, isn't it fun driving past the police very fast? 
Deary, deary me. Also in the Times, Welby's assault on moneylenders falls into pension trap. The Archbishop of Canterbury ordered an urgent review of the Church of England's investment last night after it emerged its pension fund helped to bankroll the payday lender Wonga. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Osborne growth must benefit the whole country, says right. The Guardian. City was preparing for its festival. Now it is mourning 80 dead in railway disaster. And growth put boost puts Labour on the back foot. The Daily Telegraph. There's a picture of uh, a, a fireman, it looks like, rescuing a young girl from the crash. Driver of crash train boasted about speeding. Ageing population um, pushes welfare bill to crisis. Well, let's see how Matt is uh, Matt's sideways glance at the news. Uh, Matt's the uh, cartoonist with the Telegraph. Um, there's a picture of the Treasury, and there's a gentleman going through the waste paper bin. Where did we throw Plan A? It might be working well, after all. Very, very funny. Matt, thank you. Matt, uh, the Independent, the 120 mile per hour mystery. As death toll in Spanish train disaster reaches 80, police, in, police investigate why the driver was travelling at twice the recommended speed. The uh, Daily Express. Daily Mail. Minister. It's firm's duty to employ Britons. Firms have a duty to hire Britons rather than immigrants, a minister declared last night. Hey, have you seen that van that's driving around London that says, if you're an illegal, uh, we're going to catch you. Give us a call. We'll send you back for free. I'm not sure how I feel about that. First of all, I don't think it's going to have any effect whatsoever. You imagine an illegal immigrant. Oh, oh, they've got vans out. Hey, they've got vans out. We should... Yeah, let's, let's give them a call. Come on, let's go back. It, it's not going to work. And also, is it a little bit offensive, those vans? And there's uh, Prince Harry. Uh, uh, Uncle Harry arrives bearing gifts for George. Well, he arrives bearing gifts. Unless there's a, a solid nugget of gold in there or some diamonds, it's a pretty small gift for a millionaire uncle to be giving. Daily Express, £150 charge to see your doctor. That won't happen, don't worry. Uh, it's, they're just trying to scare you. And the sun, the lend is nigh. Archbishop's war on payday giants Wonga over huge rates. 08459 Now, nearly two years ago, a Hertfordshire woman was kidnapped and her husband killed by army, uh, armed pirates Sorry, in Kenya. Judith Tebbett from Bishop Stortford was then held hostage for six months, during which time her son Ollie worked tirelessly to secure her release. In her first broadcast interview since being set free, she's spoken to Dan Damon from the BBC World Service. Well, Dan joins me now. Morning, Dan. How well has Judith Tebbett survived her horrifying ordeal? You know, Ian, it's absolutely remarkable. When you meet Judith Tebbett, she prefers to be called Jude, by the way, and you do wonder, how did she get through it? How did she get through this ordeal and remain so physically and mentally untouched, at least on the surface, because her spine was damaged at the beginning when she was thrown into the boat. The pirates dragged her from this beach house where she and her husband David were on holiday. And then she was kept for these weeks and months in this airless furnace hot room, starvation diet, just potato and rice and not much of it, bitten raw by insects. She's, she's not a big woman, she's quite slender, but she does look pretty well now. I think her survival over these six months depended on this determination that she had to remember who she was. She was a social worker. She was helping mental health patients, some of them quite violent, and I think that made her less fearful of the people who were holding her. And the one thing that she says she needed to do was to structure these empty days, these yawning days lying ahead of her. So she walked. She walked around this tiny space of her room, and she did it absolutely on the clock for half an hour on the hour or the other thing that she did was she went on virtual drives every gear change and roundabout 
to see her mother in the Lake District. Uh, and, of course, what she did was whatever she could to force the pirates to show her some respect. They were trying to get me to dress in the full hijab, jabab, everything. And I put this on the first time, and one of the pirates looked at me and smiled, and he said, Ah, oh, beauty Somali, beauty Somali woman. And I'm not a Somali woman, and I didn't want to be a Somali woman. So I, I took it off straight away. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to lose my identity. And it would have been so easy to do. I just felt suffocated and covered in all these robes. When did her family learn she was being held for ransom? They learned pretty quickly. The first call that Jude got was from somebody, she's still not sure who it was, but uh, either an official from the Foreign Office or somebody from one of those security companies that the British government hires to take care of these very difficult negotiations. And then, after just a few weeks, her son, Ollie, reached her on the pirate negotiator's mobile phone. I said, hi, is that you, Ollie? He said, yeah. Yeah, Mum, it's me. I said, they're treating me fine. I'm OK. Don't worry about me. OK, well, Mum, we're trying to get you back home. They're asking for money for you, but, you know, me and the family, we're, we're, we're all going to get you back home and we send you our love. That was, that was good news, I suppose, that at least they knew where she was. But it was during that phone call, and remember, she's surrounded by these pirates, all hoping that the big payday is coming... It was then that she learned the fate of her husband, David. She'd last seen him grappling with one of the abductors in that beach hut in Kenya. Something I have to tell you about Dad. He didn't survive his injuries. And I said, injuries? What, what, what injuries? What, 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 what are you telling me? Are you telling me that Dad is dead? And he said, I'm, I'm just so sorry, Mum, but we must remember all the good times that we had with him. And... Um, I didn't hear Ollie's voice again. I heard the negotiator's voice saying, three minutes is up. All the pirates were in the room. I looked at each one of them and said, you have killed my husband. You have killed my husband. Didn't that break her spirit? It didn't. I mean, you'd, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Here she was, not knowing whenever she was going to get out, and in these horrible conditions, and now she gets this dreadful news... I think, I mean, there were dark days, no doubt, she told me, they were pretty desperate days, but what she did was keep this structure going and keep engaging her captors. It was months later, and she was threatened that she'd be sold to another pirate gang, just shot, or she was being moved from house to house to avoid any rescue raid. There were some going on then for other hostages, US Marines or the SAS. Well, after these months, she was finally released. The ransom was paid. I think what's remarkable when you meet her is that she doesn't harbour hatred for her captors, she says. She doesn't want the pirates who treated her so cruelly to be dead, and she doesn't want them to have any more power over her. Seeking revenge, she says, would keep them in her life. What she wants to do is shut them out. Uh, and she says part of her way of surviving was to see her abductors as people and not just criminals. I'm going to sound a bit of a lunatic, but I tried to see the person rather than what they were doing. I tried to. You know, what they did was, was despicable, but... I looked at the 18 and 19 years and I did was thinking you know well what else do you have I don't this is not an excuse I didn't excuse what they were doing you know if we're honest it was easy money for them wasn't it just paid to sit and guard this 
woman just make sure she doesn't run off or you know do anything stupid or we have to keep her here because she is money well just an incredible story isn't it you can listen to dan's full hour-long interview with judith tebbett on the bbc world service this saturday the 27th at seven o'clock bst and again on sunday at one o'clock that's six months in captivity dan damon speaking to judith tebbett Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The A6 in Bedford, roadwork's still ongoing as you come to the junction with London Road, the A600. They're hoping to have them finished by the end of the month. Mandeville Road in Aylesbury, temporary lights up for works around North Drive. And Tring Road in Wendover, they're still doing gas main work near Hale Road, so more temporary traffic lights. The M25, anti-clockwise, heavy traffic starting to build up going into the roadworks section as you come from Waltham Abbey at Junction 26 through toward Junction 25 at the A10 around Enfield and Chesant. Looking at the speed sensors, it's definitely slow there. The A1 looking pretty good unless you're going into London, in which case it is starting to slarp a little bit down past Edgware. But everything else looking good, including the trains and tubes. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Right, it's nearly 6.46, it's Friday the 26th of July. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire's Police and Crime Commissioner has appointed a former BBC journalist to be his deputy. Water customers in the Three Counties are the victims of a great rip-off, that's according to Conservative MP Robert Halfon. In sport, the Olympic heptathlon champion Jessica Ennis-Hill has confirmed she'll compete in the London Anniversary Games, which start this evening. Coming up, we'll be talking about Stuart Hall. Well, he was sentenced to 15 months for assaulting young girls. Well, is that sentence long enough? 08459 455 555. Let's get the weather now with Elizabeth Rossini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Very good morning to you. Well, we're going to have another lovely day today, but you must make the most of it because things are going to change tomorrow. It's not going to be dry at all, not by the afternoon anyway. But for today, lots of sunny spells around and temperatures rising quickly up to 26, even 27 degrees Celsius. Um, Not doing too bad at all in terms of sunshine, just light winds. So again, very pleasant indeed, leading to a lovely fine end of the week with lots of late sunshine around. Overnight tonight could be a bit tricky to sleep again for the first part of the night the temperatures dropping off only very slowly and those lows between 16 and 18 degrees celsius in many of the towns as we get through into tomorrow we're actually going to see temperatures peak in the morning they will tend to drop into the afternoon um, we're going to see a dry start to the day with a bit of hazy sunshine around and then quite quickly into the afternoon we'll start to see some showers feed up from the south now some of these showers a bit later on through the day late afternoon evening time really are going to get very heavy indeed heavy thunder rain, some lightning, some hail always possible and indeed some surface water flooding. We're going to see quite a lot of rain within a short space of time and there is a Met Office warning out for this for Saturday. This really could ruin your Saturday afternoon and evening plans I can tell you and it's going to continue for most of Saturday night but then Sunday behind all of this is looking drier and brighter thank goodness and temperatures will once more creep into the low 20s. That's the forecast. 
Weekends on BBC Three Counties Radio. Every Saturday from 12, Nick Coffer's Weekend Kitchen. Packed with great recipes and food inspiration. Nick Coffer's Weekend Kitchen. Making simple, delicious and affordable food accessible to novices and experienced cooks alike. Every Saturday from 12. I can guarantee that you'll be able to make all the recipes we feature. Nick Coffer's Weekend Kitchen. Every Saturday from 12. On BBC Three Counties. Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, 08459 455 555. Here's a question for you. Was Stuart Hall's 15-month prison sentence for assaulting young girls long enough? Well, today, three appeal court judges will consider whether it was unduly lenient. That's the verdict of the Attorney General and the Conservative MP for Beaconsfield, Dominic Grieve, who referred the case to the Court of Appeal. Well, last month, the day after sentencing, Justin Dealey went out to get your opinion. Justin? Yes, hello, Ian. People were not happy. Uh, We're talking here about 14 offences between 1967 and 1985. And I was asking people at the time whether the sentence was just too low, and this is what people had to say. Yeah, way too lenient. Uh, It should have been a lot harsher at the end of the day. For what he's done, you know, she'd been treated like others have been treated. She should have been a lot more harsher. Regardless of his age, you know, he's done what he's done. He's got to pay the consequences. And when you were growing up, was Stuart Hall a bit of a hero of yours? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love watching him on telly, you know. It's a knockout and all that. He's great. He used to do the football and rugby. You, you know, he wouldn't dream that he's done it. It's not enough. I mean, why should he get away with it that much? You know, you'll be out in six months, or if that, you know, I don't think it's really bad. I think the whole world's gone crazy. I think it, it's very unfair. Those poor children, and now they're adults, obviously, are still affected. They were our idols. Now that's all sad. It's gone. Um, I think it possibly was, yeah. I think maybe um, you need to send messages out to people that commit this sort of crime that they think they're above the law. Or I think that a message should be sent out and, the, and penalties should be much harsher. Yeah, I would say that is too lenient, yeah. I mean, you know, all right, he's, he's an old boy and that, and, but it's another case of we're putting him in the nick and we're, we're paying to keep him again. You know, it's all wrong. Bring back the death penalty. So you're saying Stuart Hall should be killed? Not as conclusive as that, but yeah, bring back the death penalty. Absolutely. Other people like burglars and stuff like that, they get more longer than that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just all wrong, mate. Well, obviously, people are very angry, and that's the obvious populist approach. The, the, J- Justin, the reason uh, he got such a short sentence was the judge based it on the law as it stood at the time of the crimes, between yep. 1967 and 1985. That's the law. Uh, and also, uh, and the maximum penalty was less than it is now. But also, the judge took into account the 83-year-old's age and poor health. And he reduced the sentence by a quarter because Hall had pleaded guilty. These are, this, this is how the court system works. Absolutely. You, you make the point there about law and, and how it's changed. You know, if you look at 1985 compared to today, you know, the sentences now are a lot tougher, but people still can't understand this. We're talking here about 14 offences. One of those girls was just nine years old, and here we've got a man, regardless of his age, who's getting 15 months, and as somebody says there in, in that piece, you know, some burglars will get longer. Lots of people clearly very angry about that sentence. Those people believe it should be a lot longer. Just in there for a second. Uh, the question I'm asking this morning was Stuart Hall's 15-month prison sentence for assaulting young girls long enough. Do give me a call. 08459 455 555. Now, it's Smart Dress uh, Friday, Justin, and despite yeah. everything that's happened this week, um, you don't look bad. And yourself. Thank you. 
uh, you raise an interesting point that maybe, maybe this country, well, it's going down the pan a little bit. Well, yeah, do you know what? Years ago, Keep people, it short. OK, I will do. Uh, years ago, people used to wear suits to work. Now, obviously in London, that's slightly different, but, but here in Beds, Hearts and Bucks, who actually, can we find anybody who still wears a suit to work? I'm going to be looking for them this morning. I don't think I'll be getting very far, but if we have got anybody listening who still wears a suit to work, can they get in contact? Justin, thank you very much indeed, and Justin uh, has an important announcement to make a little bit later on during the show. Now, BBC Introducing is a show on Three Counties Radio, supports the unsigned and upcoming musician from musicians from Beds, Hearts and Bucks. This week, very excitingly, it's hosted by our very own Kelly Betts. Woohoo! I'm busy on Saturday, I won't be able to listen and my iPlayer doesn't work on my computer, but I wish you the very best of luck, Kelly Betts. I'm sure it'll be a cracking listen. Hmm, she's pulling a frown instead of a smile. Wow. Uh, now, if your child or your grandchild or you make music, uh, tell them to upload their best songs to bbc.co.uk forward slash introducing. They could become are introducing track of the week and get played every day on BBC Three Counties Radio. Today, it's the Shires. They're a male and female duo from St Albans and this is their song called Brave. I don't just forget the world And your worries come down Don't be so absurd Oh, sorry, it's not the first time I've seen you cry You don't have to be so brave Tonight Let go Let yourself be free Talk to me Tell me what's wrong now It's not the first time I've seen you cry You don't have to be so brave Tonight
you go. That's not bad, is it? That's not bad in the slightest. That's uh, uh, Brave by the Shires from St Albans. It's our BBC Introducing Track of the Week. Kelly Betts, put your headphones on, so I'm going to talk to you in a second. You can hear more music from the three counties on BBC Introducing every Saturday from uh, evening from 8 o'clock. As I've said, it's our very own Kelly Betts... Uh, you're right. You, yeah. you bumped into the table Sorry, there. Yeah. We heard that. Fell over. Yeah. Will there be any falling over on Saturday? Possibly. I've never actually listened. What? Hmm? What? Yeah, what can people expect? If they're thinking of tuning in for the first time, what, what kind of thing can they expect from you? I'm shocked and appalled and outraged that you haven't listened. Disgusted? I really like it. I'm disgusted you as well. You should be, you should be. Um, you can expect new music made right here in the three counties where you live. Uh, we have a band in session called Alexis Kings, and we also have a guy called Miles who's performing Unplugged. And me. And you are... Kelly Thank you very much indeed. Saturday from eight o'clock. She's, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Um, no, I'm not. Actually. I, I, I've not had time to listen. I'm a very, very busy man on Saturday. They're showing um, that programme with Bobby Davro where he dresses up as pop stars. <laughs> Have you seen the picture of Bobby Davro? I think it's... A, I've not seen this programme. Have you seen this? It's stars in their eyes, but they don't call it stars in their eyes. Uh, and it's the same celebrities dressing up as dis- different pop stars each week. There's a picture, I think it's in the sun, I'm trying to find it now, um, of Bobby Davro dressed up as Paul McCartney. Oh my goodness, it looks like he's won a competition. It looks awful. Here it is. It's in the biz section. <laughs> I'll show you the picture in a minute. It looks like Bobby Davro looks like he's won a competition to dress up as Paul McCartney. Honestly, it's one of the best pictures I've ever seen in my life. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. We'll take your calls in a bit, but first of all, let's get the travel. Here's Adam Glynn. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. I've just seen that picture that you mentioned. The only thing I can describe it as is mildly terrifying. There's something else you could describe it as, but not on the radio. No, exactly, exactly. Pointers Road in Dunstable, it's shut for major reconstruction works and will be right the way through until mid-September. It's closed between the A505 at the Tesco roundabout and Ports Avenue at the Woodside Industrial Estate. Your diversion takes you down the A505, Boscombe Road and Ports Avenue. Bridge Street in Leighton Buzzard is closed for works around the High Street, so that's in Church Square. 31st, end of this month, is when they're hoping to have that one reopened. Lindsay Road in Bishop Stortford, closed for roadworks between Rye Street and Barrow. Down Road. Looking at the motorways down toward London, the M1 and the A1M are looking clear at the moment. No delays on the M40. If you're using the M25, though, you will find a patch of traffic that starts back at Waltham Abbey anti-clockwise and goes into the roadworks past Junction 25 near to Chesant and Enfield. Trains and tubes running well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Coming up in the next hour of the show, should Stuart Hall have been sentenced to more than 15 months? And can we find anybody that wears a suit to work? Take your calls after the news with Catherine. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning at seven o'clock, the headlines Deputy Police Commissioner announced church links to Wonga revealed and Hertfordshire's among the country's most active counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. The new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire is the former BBC journalist David Gibson. Our political reporter Paul Scoynes has more. The panel approved Mr Gibson by eight votes to three. They're the leader of Stevenage Borough Council, Sharon Taylor, said she wouldn't vote for the candidate, not because of who he was, but because the role was not democratic and wasn't voted for by the public. Mr. Mr. 
Gibson is a former BBC journalist with a long-standing history in programmes and senior management. Commissioner Lloyd hopes Mr Gibson will take some of the pressure off his work, but also help to create some policy, which he says is a key role for the future. More on this story coming up next with Ian Lee. Water customers in the three counties are the victims of a great rip-off, according to the Conservative MP Robert Halfen. He says bills have risen dramatically while the pay and bonuses of water company directors have rocketed. And he's calling for an inquiry by the government into the role of the industry's regulator, Offwat, which he claims doesn't get tough enough with water companies over leakage rates. The Church of England is carrying out an urgent review of its investments after it emerged that its pension fund put money into a venture capital firm that helped launch the controversial payday lender Wonga. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, had said he wanted to force Wonga out of business by expanding a network of credit unions to compete against it. A court's heard how the police set up a fake second-hand shop in Luton to catch people selling stolen electrical goods, identity documents and bank cards. Seven people have pleaded guilty to theft. Simon Oxley has the details. The shop, called This and That in High Town, was manned by undercover officers from last summer until February this year. Luton Crown Court was told that the police were offered numerous passports, driving licences and bank cards, some of which had been stolen in burglaries. All seven defendants in court this week had drug problems and were using the shop to fund their habit. More arrests were made throughout Operation Generous and those people will appear in court at a later date. A survey of local sports clubs in Beds, Hearts and Bucks has shown an increase in membership in the year since the Olympic Games. The snapshot of cycling, hockey and rowing clubs shows that although some have seen a drop in numbers, the majority have had a rise. More details from Ben Nye. The largest rise was in cycling, with an overall increase of more than 11%. One club in High Wycombe gained 90 extra members in the year. Hockey had a more mixed picture, with overall an 8% increase, but some clubs showed a significant decrease. In rowing, Star Club in Bedford had 23 new members this year and the club said there'd been a rise in the numbers of people trying out the sport since London 2012. In golf, it's the ladies' European Masters today. Buckinghamshire's golf club in Denham. Bedford's Holly Aitchison is set to tee off against the likes of Laura Davis and Australia's Carrie Webb. The weather fine and dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 25 degrees Celsius. That's 77 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Thank you, Catherine. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, it's nearly the weekend. What are you doing? What are you doing this weekend? Don't tell me. Keep it a surprise. Lots coming up, including what's Stuart Hall's 15-month prison sentence for assaulting young girls? Too short. Well, today, three appeal court judges will consider whether it was unduly lenient. Are you happy with the size of your water bill? Customers in the three counties are victims of a great rip-off. That's according to Conservative MP Robert Halford. He says bills have risen dramatically, while the pay and bonuses of water company directors have rocketed. Does anybody dress up for work anymore? We've all, nearly all of us, have made an effort this morning to dress up smart. But can we find anybody who wears a suit to work? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 555 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
The Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire has appointed a former BBC journalist uh, to be his deputy. David Lloyd appointed David Gibson, a resident in the same village, as the Commissioner to do the job on a £50,000 a year salary. Well, our political reporter Paul Scoynes was at um, the, the meeting last night in Stevenage. Very quickly, Paul, what was the meeting last night? It was a meeting of the Police and Crime Panel. They're the sort of body which has oversight of the uh, Police and Crime Commissioner, or although, as you'll find out shortly perhaps not very much power who is david gibson who's been given this job well he's a former bbc journalist he's got experience here in the uk and over abroad he worked in local radio network programs as well like the today program the pm program on radio four he was a senior editor at uh, uh, news radio he's from flamstead like the uh, commissioner he was a parish councillor he was a school governor as was david lloyd as well so they've sort of worked together uh, uh, although a lot of the uh, the sort of talk at the panel meeting last night was that they were sort of from the same village um commissioner lloyd said that he knew most of the applicants and all of the candidates who went forward for the interview so that shouldn't have been an issue and david gibson said it shouldn't be a barrier just because they live in the same village it doesn't make it wrong that they know one another um david lloyd said it was important to work with someone he knew well and could work with well uh, cronyism is a word that could possibly spring to mind that people might be might be leveling at, at, at this kind of accusation uh, particularly as, as uh, david gibson doesn't have any policing experience does he well none to speak of uh, but then you know in fairness the job description uh, didn't call for any i mean the, the the job description was 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 pretty clear it said uh, the candidate will have senior management level experience potentially in a sensitive political environment would have experience working at a strategic level and also working in the public eye and david lloyd said he wanted somebody who had sort of all-round experience who could be potentially somebody who could take up the pressure of some of his work he said he wasn't able to attend the last meeting because he was uh, you know at another engagement and uh, and and perhaps in, in you know the the deputy could could do that next time let's not forget that he did have a deputy uh, who had to mm. resign earlier this year because she sent a rather unfortunate tweet likening socialists with hitler uh, and, and uh, one, one one could suggest that, that david lloyd he works as a councillor as well doesn't he he, he does and yeah. he works as the police and crime commissioner if he's unable to meet make certain meetings then possibly he's stretching himself too thin well this was always an argument that was put to him at the beginning when he had the uh, district councillor job as well he was uh, nicknamed four jobs um but uh, he says he's cut those back i mean he did go through the panel uh, it's gone through okay it went through eight votes to three um sharon taylor who's the leader of stevenage borough council uh, a labor leader she said that she would be voting against it on principle because she didn't uh, believe that the position was democratic she said that the deputies should be elected too uh, and you know indeed the vote was a little bit of a uh, well a procedure i suppose because the police and crime commissioner can actually make that decision anyway he can really pick who they like and the panel don't have a veto and indeed one member of the panel told me that he was stepping down because he quote didn't want to be associated with a body that is such a toothless worthless ineffectual waste of time money and space Paul, thank you very much. Stay there, because you may want to chip in uh, to this next bit. I'm joined now by Keith Vaz, MP, who is the Labour Chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, which recently published a review into police and crime commissioners. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Uh, Deputy Police and Crime Commissioners, should they have policing experience? Is it essential? Well, at the end of the day, this is a matter for the Commissioner. The Commissioner certainly is the person who should make that decision. But what is very important is that police and crime panel ought to be involved in some way and they ought to be able to meet the candidates 
scrutinise the candidates and pass judgment, which appears to have happened in this case. What we've got with commissioners, it, it's very much early days. As you know, the committee has done two things. We published a register of their interests, which does not happen anywhere else. We think it's really important that on a national basis, people should be able to see the interests of commissioners. And secondly, we've recently had an evidence session published a report about the situation in Gwent. But you know, at the end of the day, what the government has created is a system where the commissioner needs to decide who he or she wants. And the issue of experiences is not an issue, uh, I'm afraid. It, it really is very much up to the commissioner. That's why it's important that we look at this whole area, which we are going to do, when we have a, a much more lengthy inquiry in uh, the autumn, when we'll look at the way in which this whole uh, post and the posts that they're pointed to um, are conducted. Do you think the deputy should be an elected position? Because there could be accusations of cronyism, couldn't there? I don't personally think that it should be elected. But I do think what's very important is that the police and crime panel would be in a position to scrutinise what's happened. I'm extremely worried by the comment that you've just uh, read out. Toothless, um, worthless, ineffectual waste of time, money and space. I'm very, very uh, worried about that, that a, that a member of the panel should feel that, that is the case. And certainly when we come to look at this area, we will want to um, hear from that panel member as to why that's happened. We, we've recently taken evidence from the um, chairman of the panel in uh, Lincolnshire, uh, who uh, resigned shortly after giving evidence to the Select Committee. Um, we, we hope in our inquiry to be able to talk to Commissioner Lloyd to have him before us uh, and to uh, hear what he has to say about the way in which the uh, Commission uh, has operated. Because what we want to do in our inquiry is hear from as many people as possible. So certainly we'd want to hear from this gentleman. David Lloyd's coming on the show later on, uh, Keith. Is there one question you'd like to put to him this morning? Well, no, I don't think it's a matter for me. I think it's, it, 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 what the government has created is, is an elected police and crime commissioner. Uh, I think it's a very good idea that there should be democratic accountability. At the end of the day, it's for the panel and for the people of uh, uh, Hertfordshire to decide how they want to see these things develop. But we'd be very interested in what he has to say uh, when it comes to our inquiry later in the year. Keith, one of the things that uh, came out of the panel meeting last night is that uh, a lot of the uh, members of the panel and also the commissioner as well to an extent are all saying, well, you know, this is the first time we're doing things, we're doing mm. things for the first time, we'll see how they... It feels like this is a bit of a trial run. It sounds like a pilot which is happening in real time, and that's the, the worry. As you know, as we've said in our reports, um, we're not against the idea of democratic accountability. I think it's really important that there ought to be a democratic element. And I certainly have been persuaded of the need to have police and crime commissioners, whereas perhaps I started off not thinking they were a very good idea. But this is... What, what's lacking, I think, more than anything else is, is proper guidance from um, the Home Office. And one of the things that was most uh, uh, sad to watch in the evidence sessions we've had is, is commissioners, such as the one in Lincolnshire, uh, and cr crime and panel chairs and members all saying, we really don't know what we're doing. We wish we had more guidance. And I think, if anything, that's certainly what we want to look at when it comes to our major inquiry later this year. But at the end of the day, it's for the commissioner to make these decisions and for the panel to scrutinise them.
Keith, thank you very much. That's Keith Vaz, MP, uh, Labour Chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, and uh, we will be speaking to David Lloyd a little bit later on in the show. Paul Scoynes, thank you very much uh, indeed. 08459 455 555. Can we find anybody who still wears a suit to work? I remember growing up, vaguely, in the 70s and the 80s, you'd see, well, you'd still see men in bowler hats in the 70s and the 80s. What happened to the bowler hat? That was it. Was the uh, uniform of well, of not just London, but of other cities, wasn't it? Bowler hats are now kind of seen as a bit kitsch and a bit. A bit people wear them to, gl- to clubs, to discotheques, and things, don't they? Oh, it's a bit clockwork orange. It, you watch footage of London in the seventies and the eighties. They've all got bowler hats. They've all got briefcases. They've all got umbrellas. You don't see them now. You don't see very many people wearing suits. You don't. I tell you what, you don't see. And I'm going to start a ca- I've, I've often thought of this. I'm going to start a campaign to bring sexy back. Not sexy. Ties. I'm going to bring ties back. Men don't wear ties anymore. If they wear a suit, they'll have the top, top button open. No tie. What on earth is that about? How, do you think this is part of the reason we're in a, a, a moral and financial decline? Because we don't wear suits anymore. 08459 455 555. Why don't people make the effort any more? For goodness sakes. I may have gone a little bit over the top of the tuxedo. Back in the day, kids, and I'm speaking to the kids here because the old people will know this, like in the early days of the BBC, you had to wear a tuxedo to read the news on the radio. That's bonkers, isn't it? It's true, but it's bonkers. Well, maybe we should kind of reintroduce that a little bit. Bring back some, some glamour, some smartness. A little bit of style is what's lacking. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Don't use a flash against a pane of glass, you silly... I'm having my photograph taken by producer Tara. She used a flash on a pane of glass. Well, that's going to reflect straight back at you, isn't it? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Can we find anybody this morning who wears a suit to school? I think part of it is a reaction to, uh, to, to work. Part of it is a reaction to school uniforms, is what I was thinking. Because we're forced, a lot of places, to wear school uniforms. And as soon as we turn 16 or 18 or whatever it is, phew, I'm never wearing that again. Phew. Yeah, jeans and a, and a T-shirt for the Ramones. They're a band? What? Uh, people just rebel, don't they? 08459 455 555. Do you still dress smart for work? Does it make a difference? It certainly makes a difference to how you're treated and possibly in how you treat other people. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Just having a look at the cameras on the M40. As you go past Junction 4 near High Wycombe, it looks like it's quite a misty start to the day there, so visibility not ideal, but driving conditions apart from that seem pretty good and traffic levels for the moment are quite light. No disruption as you make your way down toward London on the M40. Everything moving nicely on the A1M. It's clear through the Hatfield Tunnel with things running well as you continue in toward the M25. If you're going further into London, though, the A1 is queuing on the Barnet Bypass between Stirling Corner and Apex Corner at the A41. Taking a look at the M25 on the cameras, it is slow as you go from Waltham Abbey toward Enfield into the roadwork section, but there's also a patch of slow-moving traffic now from Maple Cross to the M40, junction 17 to 16. If you're travelling by train or by tube, your journey should be a good one. No late runners and no disruption at present. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. 
7.16. It's Friday the 26th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire is former BBC journalist David Gibson. Water customers are the victims of a great rip-off. That's according to Conservative MP Robert Halfon. In sport, heptathlon champion Jessica Ennis-Hill has confirmed she'll compete in tonight's Olympic anniversary games, saying her Achilles injury has responded well to treatment. Coming up, the thousands of people who lost their savings in the collapse of Aylesbury-based Equitable Life, well, they face even more bad news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning from nine, the JVS Show. You just can't carry on with life. It, I mean, it's just awful. With the biggest opinions. It's about time somebody or an organisation has stood up and basically smelt the coffee. Well, yeah, it depends on the individual, actually. Let's pollute the planet even more. We should pollute it so much your Pinot Gris show goes rotten. And the biggest local talking points. What we really need to do is for everyone in, in the country to reduce their energy consumption, not increase it. The JVS Show, weekdays from nine. BBC Three Counties Radio. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. No one dresses smart anymore, and it's sad, isn't it? You see all these people going to work in their jeans and T-shirts. Some people, some people in this building think it's appropriate to wear shorts and sandals to work, Toby Friedner. I... I've not said it to his face, and I wouldn't because I'm a coward, and I'm hoping he's not listening now. But I think it's disgusting. Lack of respect for him, lack of respect for me. Peter's in Warmer Green. Peter? Hello, good morning. Good morning, Peter. What do you think about this? I went on a train for the first time for about 17 years. at wow. Moorfields, And I was absolutely horrified by the drop in standards, really. Tell me about it. I mean, when you go, when you go on the train, yep. there's people with cups of coffee oh. they're eating yes. they're making up there's no room they're to making up read a, read a newspaper what do you mean they're making up like in the neil sadaka song because that's hard putting, to do no putting their makeup on <laughs> putting their makeup on sorry i mean no pride in themselves really no. and uh, in public really and uh, it, to me to me the dropping status is absolutely huge yeah in fact I've, i was looking at the train and i thought to myself now I realise where all the wagons went after the war. They used to take the... The wagons? The, yeah, they used to take the prisoners to Belson. OK. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's such a... It, they, you couldn't read even that you were so close together. I mean, crazy. Yes. The, the, the closeness, the proximity of other people has very little to do with suits, though, or does it? No, not at all. But the standards, general standards... Here we go. ...have fallen hugely. Peter, what are you wearing right now, sir? I'm wearing a shirt and tra- grey trousers. OK, and what have you got on your feet? I've got slippers on at the moment. Good for you. Uh, when was the last time you wore a tie? I wore a tie Tuesday. Oh, what was that for? A funeral. Oh, well, there you go. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but but, do you, but you, you put a tie on. People don't, wear, people don't wear ties at funerals anymore. But I was at a funeral in February. There were people there. They had jackets and shirts on. They had no ties. But, I mean, that's a lack there of standards, There was someone in jeans at a funeral, Peter. But that's a lack of standards, That is it? disgusting. Absolutely. Peter, it's nice to talk to you, and it's nice to agree with you uh, for uh, for a change. Let's try and change oh, that on Monday, shall we? Yeah, by the way, one other thing. Yep, here we go. When I got off the train and I was walking along the street towards Moorfields, there was people all over the place carrying coffee. Now, what's that all about? Maybe they were thirsty. 
across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, has the Olympics made you more active? Well, it was supposed to be a big bonus of uh, London getting the 2012 Games, but the results of a survey suggest that actually it's not had that effect here in the three counties. The number of people doing at least 30 minutes of exercise a week has actually gone down since the Olympics was held. The annual Sport England's Active People Survey also showed a huge variation in the amount of sport available in uh, schools, in beds, hearts and bucks. A survey by BBC Three Counties Radio reveals that although all offer the statutory minimum of two hours PE week, the number of after-school activities ranges from just three to as many as more than 20. Well, I'm joined now in the studio by David Allen, who's Deputy Head Teacher of Onslow St Audrey's School in Hatfield. Morning, David. Morning. How important a, a role does sport play in, in your school? Uh, a very important role. Uh, we believe it's not just about keeping fit and healthy lifestyles. We also believe it's about giving children the opportunity to um, develop their communication skills, their teamwork and all the various other bits and pieces. Do you have to get all the teachers on board? Are there some reluctant? Uh, yes. Um, what we have found in the last uh, year is, is that as we've got the children involved, the teachers have wanted to get involved and as a result of that the teachers have then taken part in uh, other activities. Bizarrely, sailing is one of the activities. That's not the particular usual thing you'll find at schools, is it? Why, why did you go for sailing? Um, Purely and simply, we were trying to find, we were trying to broaden the horizons of the young people in in Hatfield. Um, a number of our children don't like team games like football, rugby, um, netball, those sorts of things. And we were trying to find a range of diverse um, sports for them. Um, so we started with sailing. We, we now offer canoeing and kayaking as well. We offer fencing and a r- whole range of other activities as well. Uh, not all schools are f- schools are fortunate enough to be able to offer those kind of things, though, are they? Uh, I believe they are. We we don't charge the children for those sports because our children um, come from families where money is an issue. How do you afford that then? How do you manage to finance that? Uh, creatively, creatively, I suppose. Mm. Um, the sailing we do charge. Um, the, the, how we can keep the costs down is the fact that the staff have become qualified um, sailing instructors, and with um, Stanborough Lakes, we've been able to just hire the boats, but not the instructors, which okay. keeps the cost down. In terms of the archery, I've been running archery leaders courses. For for adults within the the area um, which pays for the equipment that I buy for the kids so that they don't actually have to pay f- for the, the equipment I bet they love a bit of archery yeah it's uh, good fun archery it is and we've certainly found that t- um, a lot of the young people would would do it every day if, if the teacher should we the really be training our children how to fire things a long distance at great speeds uh yeah absolutely i think it's about it is about control it's about trust i think you know some of the staff were interested that we were offering archery i have to say it, it is about uh coordination mm. it's and it's a sport that anybody can take mm. you don't have to be strong to do it uh, have you do you think there is an olympic legacy a year on from from 2012 i'd like to think so i have to say i was a skeptic when it was first announced mm. um I was swept along, I will admit, by last year. Um, And I have to say that for us, um, we have seen participation rates in sport go up you know a lot and is it is it stayed up is it because there was a, a bit of a peak it seems from the survey we're talking about a bit of a peak and then it kind of dipped off again what have you noticed in your school I th- we can't offer enough sessions. We haven't got right. enough staff. I could run archery every morning, every evening, to both teachers and to students. Wow. Um, we've got uh, 20% of our students have now got proper qualifications in sailing. 10% of the staff have got 
qualifications in sailing and what we've tried to do at the school is offer it to staff as well mm. so if we put on a new sport they get an opportunity to have a club as well um, and which has meant that some of them have gone on to be uh, sports leaders in whatever area uh, which has made the well, job it sounds easy. like it's worked there final note well, what, we're talking about smartness what do you what do your teachers wear at school i was listening to the radio yep. um uh, suits and, and ties really yeah we insist that they wear ties every day they might be in trousers and a shirt and tie yep. but um most of them are in suits and do they kick off about that not at all <laughs> they're good with it yeah excellent stuff well good for you well done for that and great great work at the sport as well that's fantastic david allen deputy head teacher at uh, onslow st audrey's school in hatfield call 08459 455 555 bbc three counties radio 08459 455 555. Now, the thousands of people who lost their savings in the collapse of Aylesbury based Equitable Life face another blow. They may never get their compensation. The Public Accounts Committee blamed the government for their failings and is now urging it to take urgent action to track down as many former policyholders as possible before the deadline of March 2014 passes. Well, with us now is Dr Ros Altman, a governor of the London School of Economics and an independent policy advisor. Morning, Ros. Just Good remind morning. us what happened at Equitable and, and why people lost out. Well, Equitable Life is one of those big scandals where over a million people had put their savings either into a pension or a savings product. The company had offered guarantees on their money and the company knew that it couldn't afford the guarantees. Then it tried to wriggle out of its commitments. Uh, Meanwhile, the regulators were simply asleep on the job and let people continue to put money into a company that didn't have enough money to pay out what it had promised. Uh, It was all such a mess and a huge scandal. Um, And for many years, government refused to take any responsibility for the fact that regulators didn't stop the company from uh, both making these promises and taking on new business. Uh, And finally, this government does deserve credit for agreeing to actually start paying out compensation. But there are apparently some concerns about the efficiency of the scheme it's set up. Well, so it does deserve credit for, for saying, yes, it will pay out some compensation, but, but not everyone's going to get their money. Why not? Well, first of all, uh, the government decided that n- not all the responsibility rested on its shoulders. Some of the responsibility, obviously, was um, the management itself. So it was never going to compensate fully for the total losses people suffered. But also, there were um, caveats and exclusions in some of the compensation agreements. And the government and the Treasury, of course, is mindful that it has to be careful with public money. So how much could... What were, what's the average amount that people have lost? Well, some people have lost hundreds of thousands of pounds. Wow. And, you know, for many, they were led to believe this was the best company in the market. Mm. It offered superb guarantees and excellent returns. And they were encouraged to put all their pension money in. So in the end, they became trapped because the company didn't have enough money to meet its obligations. And it ended up losing a case in court where it was trying to wriggle out of the guarantees that it had made. So you've, you've got lots of unfortunately very old people elderly people who are primarily affected and and again unfortunately many of them have already died before seeing a penny of compensation and it is important that the government and the compensation scheme do everything they can to trace 
all those who are due compensation and anyone who's listening to this who was an equitable lifesaver and hasn't been contacted yet, please make sure that you make yourselves known to the Equitable Life Compensation Scheme. Dr. Ros Altman, thank you very much uh, indeed. Uh, Dr. Altman there, a governor of the London School of Economics. It does make you think, my whole life I've had people say, oh, you've been investing in a pension. Oh, invest in a pension. Yeah, whatever, granddad. And then about five years ago, a bit too late, I started investing in a pension. And part of me thinks, well, what's the point? What's the point, really? I once interviewed Duncan Bannatyne. Yeah, the dragon. Uh, and uh, I said to him, shall I invest in a pension? He said, no, 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 pay off your mortgage. Pay off your mortgage first before you invest in anything, because that's there and that's always going to be worth something. Oh, it's such a worry, isn't it? I wish you didn't have to worry about things like this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I have got a pension. I've not paid anything into it for a year. I don't know how it works. I've got no idea. Ah, oh, dearie me. 08459 four double five five double five. If you want to take part in this morning's show, 729, let's get the travel with Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Mandeville Road in Aylesbury, temporary lights still up for roadworks past North Drive and you're going to find some temporary lights in Bedford on the Amptill Road as you come down toward the B530 junction with the Interchange Retail Park roundabout. On the M25 anti-clockwise, it is slow moving from Waltham Abbey to Enfield, junction 26 to 25 as traffic makes its way into the roadworks section where you have the 50 mile an hour speed restriction and the narrow lanes. Anti-clockwise also slow though from Maple Cross to the M40. In toward London, the A1 in Borehamwood slow from Stirling Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. Trains are running well. Tubes, there was a little bit of disruption for the Northern Line, Finchley Central to High Barnet. A broken down train, but they got it out of the way very quickly and everything running normally once again. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning with the 7.30 News and Sport. I'm Catherine Boyle. The new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire is former BBC journalist David Gibson. Water customers are the victims of a great rip-off, according to Conservative MP Robert Halford. And the Church of England is carrying out an urgent review of its investments after links emerge between its pension fund and the payday lender Wonga. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jessica Ennis-Hill has suffered no ill effect of competing in Loughborough earlier this week and she's ready for the Olympic anniversary games which start tonight. UK Athletics Performance Director Neil Black has told the BBC he's confident Ennis-Hill is not taking any risks by taking part. It's impossible to be absolutely certain but the progress has been really good over the last few weeks and particularly good over the last few days. I was up at Loughborough watching Jess through the week with the javelin and long jump. Fantastic that she was able to do it, setting personal bests in the, in the javelin and pretty reasonable attempts in the long jump and uh, the fact that she's recovered well enough to to come back and do it again over this weekend is a really, really positive sign. Local interest in the Games comes with Bedford's Nigel Levine. He's set to compete in the 400 metres. Wellens Jodie Williams, she's in the 200 metres. And Luton's Daisy Tobias runs in the 100 metres. But no Greg Rutherford, he's nursing an injury. The American Gene Sowers leads the Senior Open by one shot at Southport's Royal Birkdale. Colin Montgomery's further down the leaderboard after an opening round of 72. Meanwhile, the Ladies' European Masters event begins today at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club in Denham. Bedford's Holly Aitchison is preparing to take on some of the world's top players the field is actually extremely good uh we've because it's the week before the women's british open as well mm. uh we get a lot of the americans coming over and they want to play which is which is really good for the tournament it brings in all the crowds and yeah hopefully makes everyone up their game a little bit 
Meanwhile, in football, Luton Town lost last night's friendly against Dunstable 2-0. And tonight, Wickham Wanderers have a friendly away to Oxford City. That's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at 8 o'clock. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text will be charged at the standard network rate. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yet to get any phone calls. Oh, no, we, we will have a phone call shortly about uh, dressing smart. Do you dress smart? I do think it's sad that people don't make the effort. I know it's hard work, but listen, you can get a cheap, you can get a cheap suit for 100 quid that looks pretty decent. You want two suits, a few different shirts, boom, you're away. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? 08459 455 555. Oh, this is exciting. I, I love these, these calls because it's pointless me saying what I'm about to say. Because if this is true, they won't hear me. You see? We are getting reports of a power cut in the MK42 area of Milton Keynes. If you know any more, get in touch. How will they be listening to us? No one has battery radios. They don't have wind-up radios. They, they, wind-up radios lasted for about two years. No one has a wind... They're, they're a great idea, but they, there's such an effort. That's 0.7 seconds worth of radio I've got. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Parents angry at the closure of the majority of children's services at Bedford Hospital will hold a peaceful protest outside South Wing today. To find out more, I'm joined by Ray McKeating, who set up the Facebook group Save Our Riverbank Ward. Uh, Ray, nice to talk to you. How many people are you expecting to take part today? Morning, Ian. Um, I, th- I think we're looking to close on a thousand at the moment, uh, but it's a bit unpredictable. But um, the, the page says uh, says around says around a thousand. And what exactly is happening? Um, we're um, just going to show our, our force in numbers. We're uh, heading for the Britannia Road entrance, and uh, we'll, we'll be down there. Uh, we've got ice cream vans. Uh, we'll have music playing, and we just generally want to try and make it a, a, a nice friendly af- affair but let the hospital know that we're not going to take their decisions lightly is it going to have any effect ray they see that I mean, they've conceded ever so slightly in recent uh, the recent days about um how they might see some children at a and e before patching them up and moving them on but th- they seem pretty determined they're going to stick to their guns uh, I, I don't think just this protest alone uh, will, will make them change their mind i think it it's, it's a given that when when the decision's made, somebody will protest, and then it kind of just wanders off into the distance. But uh, I think this is the start of a number of events we need to do to let them know that we're not going away until we get the services back. What other events have you got in mind? Uh, well, I'm actually uh, meeting with a group of families on on Thursday evening to discuss our, our plan of action. Uh, but we'll be doing a number of fundraising events and. Uh, as part of uh, one of the events that we'll have going on as well, there'll be uh, a march as well through, through the town, uh, and those details will follow after this week. If the hospital were hoping this would go away, they must be sorely disappointed. Facebook and Twitter are, are constantly alight with people expressing their concern and disgust. Exactly. We're going to be a very uncomfortable stone in their shoe. Uh, and like I said, we, we, we're not going to stop until we get these services back. Last time we spoke, Ray, we were both slightly dubious as to whether uh, Bedford Hospital would reinstate these services. Have you changed your mind? 
Uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic about some of these services coming back. I've, I've kindly been invited in on on two or three focus groups with with, uh, with, with different parties to to decide what can come back and and how we can get these services back. And there are more positive talks uh, that are going on at the moment and that will continue into next week. Is that just to keep you sweet, Ray? Because you are, you know, troublemaker's the wrong word, but you, you are on their back. Is that just to shut you up a bit so you feel a bit more involved? Um, well, if it is, I'm not going to shut up until I see a plan that fully supports the family and the services so <laughs> they can keep me sweet and, I, and, I, and I'm happy to be involved in those those conversations, but we're still not going away until we get these services back. Right, nice to talk to you. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. That's uh, Ray McKeating, who set up the Facebook group Save Our Riverbank Ward, uh, talking about the peaceful protest outside the south wing of Bedford Hospital taking place today. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Dresses smart anymore. It's the reason the country is facing ruin. Dennis is in Dunstable. Morning, Dennis. Good morning. I trust that you're wearing a tie. I'm wearing a tuxedo this morning, Dennis. Are you? I'm oh, actually wearing a tuxedo. A proper but you've, you. It's a self-tied bow tie, I hope, and not one of those stick-on things. Oh, it would never get a stick-on. The thing I struggle with with um, tuxedos, you know, the little pointy bits of the dress shirt. Yes. Do they they go behind the tie? Don't they? You should do, yes. They always keep popping out, so I'm constantly oh, well, having to adjust myself. Not a very good shirt you've got, then. Sorry? It's not a very good shirt. This is a posh shirt. It might be posh. cost me 12 quid. Where was it made? Um, I believe in a... Uh, it's it's from Vietnam. Oh, well, they've probably not got it quite right. Maybe not. Maybe not. Do you dress smart, Dennis? I try to do. I, I, what are you wearing right now? I've been for 23 years. What are you so wearing I now? Shut up, I'm talking. What are you wearing now? Uh, Pajama bottoms oh. and a pair of blue socks. What's on your top? My hairy... Well, I haven't got a hairy chest. No, I've just got out of bed for... I'm 88, for God's sake, you know. I don't dance. I don't jump up at 6 o'clock. I listen to you, mind you, from 6 o'clock. So let me just get this right. You're an 88-year-old man, and you're calling me half-naked. That's right. Well, that's quite all right. You can't see me. It's not quite how I imagined my career panning out, if well, I'm completely no, you honest. Well, talking about people getting up, up to retiring 23 years ago. I used to work for British Aerospace, and I used to go to work with... A Topless? Tie, a tie on, and, and, a, shirt, and, and a, a shirt. Shirts and everything. Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, when I got there, I took my coat off and hung it over the back of my chair... Good for you. ...and loosened my tie. Why? Whoa! Hang on a second. You loosened your tie? Well, yes, because it was quite warm dis- in the office. Dis- and, it's um, a tough mad dog's an Englishman, Dennis. I know, but I only loosened it slightly. And I have a selection of ties which I'm very proud to wear. My service tie, my navy tie, uh, an altered RAF tie, which was given to me by an RAF man because I'd had jokes with them about various names we called each other. But you hadn't been in the RAF? No, no. So it's illegal to wear. I from an RAF man on the next drawing board. Right. And I'd... I'd uh, joked with him about what we used to call What's that thing. squeaking, Dennis? Is that your back? What, what are you it's cutting knees, cheese? Actually. It's what? It's my knees. It's an awful noise. I know it's terrible. It keeps me awake all night. No, it's the chair, actually. It needs oiling. Okay. D- D- Dennis, say hello to Justin. Hello, Justin. Morning, Dennis. You right, sir? I'm absolutely super. Yes. Wonderful. You've got all my team are now stretching their knees. Dennis? Yes? Say goodbye to Justin. Goodbye, Justin. Bye, Dennis. Now, Justin Dealey. Yes? It's you that um, brought up... The, it was my idea to dress smart, and it's a really, really good idea, actually. Very strong idea. Everyone looks very smart. 
but you um, made the observation that perhaps this country is going down the pan because you don't see many people <laughs> smart anymore. No, you don't. I think in the last 10 years in particular, the, the people going to work have become very, very casual. And you know what? I included in that. But of course, today I'm wearing a sharp number. So what I've done, I've been out this morning in Luton. I've been trying to find men, Ian, who wear suits or tuxedos to John, work. John, good morning. Tell us what you do for a living. I'm uh, a street cleanser. Where's the suit? Uh, <laughs> at home, in the wardrobe. No, I, I wear a uniform. I mean, do you not think it would lift people's spirits if you were cleaning the streets wearing a suit? Um, I'd probably look ridiculous. No, I'd look, look great. okay for about ten minutes. <laughs> Monday, try it. <laughs> I'm going to come back down here on Monday. You better be in a suit. <laughs> I'll give it a try. Yeah. Okay. Smart in this country up for once. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I found somebody who's wearing a suit. That person is Matt. Matt, you're looking pretty sharp, aren't you? Thank you very much. Fantastic. So have you always had to wear a suit for work, then? Uh, in this profession, I have. I've been in this profession about 20 years. Well, tell us what you do. I'm a solicitor. Does it frustrate you that men have tended to, to let themselves go in recent years? Yes, they have. They have and they're, they're not well-dressed, and they don't seem to care about how they're dressed. So your message would be, come on, lads, sort yourself out. Yeah, come on, lads, girls are getting ahead of you. You've got to catch up. <laughs> Wake up! Madam, what's your name? Yukari. Do you think more men should be wearing suits? Absolutely. Tell us why you like it so much. I just think they look lovely. Really smart, intellectual, the kind of man that I want to see in the morning on my way to work. <laughs> so men have let themselves go, then? Yeah, absolutely. Terrible, isn't it? It's horrible. What do you think about my suit? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Can you score it out of ten for me? Seven. See you later. <laughs> so, what's your name? My name is Gregory. Now, you're meant to wear a suit to work, but you're going in today and you've got shorts and sandals on. You're a disgrace to this country, aren't you? No, it's my own business. I do wear a suit Mondays to Thursdays. Yeah. On Fridays, casual days, so... I tend to get everyone to just cash one. You must feel a bit ashamed. Come on. Come on look at them sandals. So, no, I'll tell you what, jump in the car. Jump in the car. I'll take you home. We're going to get changed. Come on. Absolutely not. Well, not many people there dressing smart. And that, go- that girl, hmm. oh, yeah, if you wear a suit, makes look intellectual. Yeah. She's it's a shame that she didn't dress up smartly herself. Yes. Mm. Uh, listen, I, uh, apologies, Justin. I started your um, piece a little bit too early there. It's okay. Speaking of apologies, mm. I believe you've got something that um, management would like you to say this morning. Do I have to do this? Well, you don't have to, but bearing in mind, I've seen the email sent from the boss um, suggesting that perhaps you should do before this yeah. goes any further. Okay, well, I want to put steak on the table, so I'm going to read this. Um, I'm sorry for my attitude and certain comments I made this week on the Ian Lee show. Uh, This was not meant to be offensive, but I am sorry if I caused offence to any members of the team, including Ian. After being made to listen to the programme again, it has been agreed this will never happen again. All right. Is that that it? That's it. Yep, you're okay. Yep. Thank you very much uh, indeed for that. Justin Daly. Thanks. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call and hopefully we can lay that all to rest now. (laughs) 
555. Do you dress smart for work? Well, do you? No one does anymore. And it, I, I do find it very, very frustrating. And uh, it was interesting we had that deputy head there from that school. Because I remember teachers at my school were so scruffy. So scruffy. Oh, I mean, awful. I'm trying to think, were there any that wore suits? Mr. Uh, Mr. Dunn wore suits, the deputy head. But bearing in mind I went to school in the late uh, 80s, early 90s. They were suits from the 70s. Huge flared things. Big wide lapels. So that kind of had a negative effect. What do you wear for work? Give me a call. Just tell me what you're wearing for work today. If it's shorts and sandals, I'm going to speak to your boss and have you fired. 08459 455 555. There are members of the Three Counties production and presenting team who wear shorts and sandals to work. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. That is not acceptable behaviour. Coming up to 7.45, let's get the travel news now. Here's Adam Glynn. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. On the M25, plenty of traffic anti-clockwise making its way in through the roadwork section, so it's a bit of a pinch point as you come down to the narrow lanes and the 50 mile an hour restrictions, so it's quite busy back to far as the M11, Junction 27, through past Enfield at Junction 25, looking busy round past 24 at Potter's Bar as well. It's also slow from Chorleywood down to the M40 now, Junction 18 to 16. The A1, as you make your way into London through Boreham Wood, is slow from Stirling Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. For the moment, the speed centres aren't picking up any any other major problems. The A1M is running well. No delays on the A1 up at the Black Cat roundabout. Routes into and out of Bedford are looking good at the minute and Milton Keynes is looking pretty clear as well. The A5 running nicely down through Dunstable toward the M1 and even the M1 is looking fine. Trains and tubes, very few problems this morning. I think we've got one cancellation on the departure boards at the moment. The 807 service from Bedford up toward Beeston. It's an East Midlands train service and it's been cancelled as a member of the train crew's unavailable. But everything else looking absolutely fine. Adam Glenn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 7.46, it's Friday the 26th of July. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire is former BBC journalist David Gibson. Water customers are the victims of a great rip-off. That's according to Conservative MP Robert Halfen. In sport, Olympic heptathlon champion Jessica Ennis-Hill has confirmed she will compete at the Anniversary Games in London this weekend. The Anniversary Games? Coming up, how expensive is water now? And is there any other option? 08459 455 555. But before that, wearing a purple dress, it's the lovely Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, hello. Hi. Got my purple dress on today, so um, sunny spells today. A lovely day across the three counties. Lots of sunshine and um, temperatures all the way up to 25 or 26 degrees Celsius. Might even see a touch higher than that, but 26, 79 in Fahrenheit. Just light winds and do make the most of the sunshine because from tomorrow things are going to be really very different. So as we head through into tonight, a lovely end of the working week. Lots of late sunshine around. Temperatures dipping to between 15 and 17 degrees overnight. Perhaps a few mist patches around. And then as we get into tomorrow, well, I think it's going to be a dry start. Um, we'll see some hazy sunshine around to start the day as well. But it won't be too long before we start get some start to get some showers. Come back rain. to the microphone. Come back to the microphone, Elizabeth. I'm here. Okay. Hello. You just wandered a bit. Have you not got me? Yeah, you just wandered ever so slightly. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what, it's because I was looking at my charts and I was going to give oh. you an exact time for this Ooh. rain tomorrow, but now I'm not. Nice charts. <laughs> well, basically, it's like into the afternoon, so from the first part of the afternoon, we're looking at some wet weather spreading up, but the heaviest of this rain, not likely to arrive until we get to uh, probably, if you want a time, I'll say six or seven o'clock, really. Um, really very heavy rain, heavy thundery downpours, quite a lot of rain within a short space of time, and the Met Office has got a warning out for this as well. There there is just a chance that this all of this rain is going to scoot off to the east, but I really think we are going to see it. Um, really quite high confidence in this. So possibility of some surface water flooding locally. Um, definite possibility really. Sunday is happily looking drier and brighter and temperatures once more will creep into the low 20s in Fahrenheit but this rain tomorrow it's looking very heavy indeed. I can't stress this enough. Um, it might really ruin your plans for a Saturday evening out so something to bear in mind I suspect Ian for the weekend. That's the forecast. Ooh, thank you very much Elizabeth. Just quickly there's a picture of our team on uh, the Facebook page all looking very smart. My favourite comment is from Lisa Feldberg. Mr. Scoynes is not how I imagined. Coming soon. Free kick now from over on the far side. Getting away from his marker inside the box. Real chance now. Great save. Towards the top corner. What a goal! It's a beautiful goal. Three Counties Sport returns to Saturdays. Next weekend on BBC Three Counties Radio. Football crazy, football mad. I don't like football, I think it's very sad. Now, it's a precious resource and one we can't do without, but it's costing us a small fortune. Water, wasser, aqua. Customers in the three counties are the victims of a great rip-off. That's according to Conservative MP Robert Halford. He says bills have risen dramatically, while the pay and bonuses of water company directors have rocketed. Well, Jacob Tompkins is the managing director of Waterwise, a not-for-profit campaigning organisation for water efficiency. He joins me now. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning. Is the rate at which water bills are rising out of control? Water bills have gone up by more than 50% in the past decade. So if you look at uh, when we privatised the water industry, um, they were just over £100. Uh, now they're getting on for over £300. Varies depending on what water you use, whether you're on a metre, what area you're in. But they have gone up a lot. Why? Um, two reasons. One is uh, we privatised the industry. So um, they have a duty to make profit. You know, it's under the Companies Act. They're supposed to give a return to their shareholders. They need to borrow money to invest. And if you're a shareholder and you want to invest in a company, then you want it to give healthy returns. That's the argument. The other bit is that there was a load of work to do. So sewage treatment works, water pumping treatment works, all those sorts of things, all the pipes we see being repaired. That costs a lot. And as a nation, we chose a government that decided to go down the privatised route. Um, and that's how we've delivered this. We've delivered massive investment in privatisation. There's so much water uh, wastage by the water companies. So many of those old Victorian pipes all across the country uh, with, with billions of litres being wasted. And yet we're paying for that. Yeah, I mean, some of them are older than Victorian. Some of them are over 150 years old, these pipes. Um, and the problem is that we replace them at a rate that is lower than it takes them to fall apart. 
So, you know, we're constantly going to have this problem. <coughs> I'm sorry. But, but they, the t- they tell us to turn our taps off. Well, go and fix your pipes. It's a combination of the two. We need proper government legislation that regulates the industry. We need the companies to continue investing in leakage repair. Um, but we also do need to turn the tap off because if everybody fills their paddling pool at exactly the same time or leaves the tap running when they brush their teeth, there's not enough water in the pipes. But there's a sort of a circular argument here that bills have to go up to invest in things like pipes and stuff like this. But people don't like the rising bills, nor do they like the leaking pipes. Now, as I say, we have a system in England and Wales um, of private companies. And if, if people are concerned around prices and profits and how the money is being spent, water companies are quite transparent in developing their five-year plan. So every five years, they have a plan for investment, and it also looks at how much prices are going to go up by. And they're consulting on that at the moment. So go onto your water company's website and give your comments. And, and, you know, say, I'd rather see my money spent here, or actually I wouldn't, I don't want the bills to go up, um, and I don't, not too bothered about leakage. Or comment on profits and things like this as well. But it's is a that comment system. is that comment actually going to achieve anything, Jacob? Because am I right in thinking, unlike electricity and gas companies, you can change at a moment's notice. Your water company, you're stuck with your region, aren't you? You can't move. They are regional monopolies. You cannot move as a domestic customer. You can't move. So this is the one opportunity. So basically, write to Ofwa, to the financial regulator, or the environment agency, or the environmental regulator and write to the water companies and say actually this is how we want our money spent there's a change in the way they're being governed at the moment that means there are customer challenge groups um, and they are there specifically to represent the voice of the customer and each water company has one so you know if you don't think your voice is being heard then ask who the customer challenge group is and write to them they're an independent body that are supposed to be challenging these business plans that the water companies have But Jacob, is, that, is it not a little bit toothless? If everybody, let's say Thames Water, if everybody who gets their water from Thames Water went to this website and wrote and said, right, I want you to stop paying your chief executives huge bonuses and reduce my bills, yep. that wouldn't happen, would it? Um, if everybody did, I think it would. Really? If everybody, <laughs> if you had 15 million people writing in and saying, this is what we want, then I think that, as you say, you know, this was raised by an MP... I think that these things would be raised by MPs. I think there would be enormous pressure on the companies. The problem is if 15 people write in, no, it won't happen. And the chief executives of these companies will say, you know, we've got a responsibility for supplying water to millions of people. It's affordable. We deliver on time. All these sorts of things. So, you know, they would say that they're worth the money. I mean, it's worth pointing out that the UK water prices are generally lower than those in Europe. Part of the problem, issue, part of the reason is, though, that we've effectively mortgaged all of our assets. So there's a big debt that's been financed, which means that our water companies are now controlled by external financiers, and they want to see a return on their money. Is off what toothless? I wouldn't say it's toothless. I'd like to see it with stronger powers. I'd also like, but what I'd really like to see is a water strategy. That's what we lack as a country. I mean, when the water industry was privatised, whether you think that was a good idea or not, um, there was a very clear message. It was raise money on the financial markets and invest it in building stuff. So if you were the MD of a water company, you knew what to do. What are they supposed to do now? What is the aim of the water industry? Where is the big overarching strategy? Why is the government so silent on this? We've got a water bill going through at the moment, and it doesn't address any of the things that we're talking about now or your customers or your um, listeners are concerned about. Do you think that uh, we should be spending more on projects like desalination plants so that th- th- we would have more water? No. 
Um, my view is what we should be doing is we should be helping people in their own homes. So water and energy bills are rising. Um, water companies and energy companies have pressures on supply. So it's going to be quite difficult to continue supplying water and energy. What we should be doing is discounting things like shower heads and taps. We should be offering people free service in their home where we replace their shower heads and their taps and their toilets. That'll bring down household bills, it'll reduce the demand for water, and it'll also cut energy use. Jacob, thank you very much. That's Jacob Tompkins, Managing Director of WaterWise. Well, uh, I'm joined now by Mick Dobson from High Wycombe. Good morning, Mick. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. What do you think about water bills? Too high? Of course they are. They always have been. But they're, they're private companies, Mick. We need to make sure that the shareholders are... No, 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 they're greedy fat cats who are bleeding the customers dry. Pardon the pun. Well, you've had problems with leaks in High Wycombe, haven't you? Yeah, leaks, blocked drains in the districts. You know, uh, when I got a phone call yesterday afternoon uh, to see if I would uh, come on to, onto your programme, after that I walked down and there was a couple of leaks. Uh, there's a drain that still looks as if it was blocked from about five years ago. Uh, the ride gets a little bit flooded when we do get some rain. It's because they'd rather invest, rather than invest the money in a proper system and reservoir systems, they'd rather give it to somebody so he can buy himself a new Rolls Royce this year. Have you reported and these I problems, would, Mick? Oh, they, they, yeah, and what do they say them, when you speak to them? Uh, the matter is in hand, that sort of lie. Mm. And uh, basically, as far as what, what my water use is concerned, I'll use as much as I please. They ain't going to tell me. If I'm paying for it, I'm using it. End it, of. That, some people might perceive that as, as, as a little bit selfish. No, if, I'm, if you're paying for it, use it. But if there's not enough to go around, as, as is often the case, and could potentially be the case again soon, if this weather continues, although saying that's been chucking it down, isn't it? Uh, but, but if there's not enough to go around, is that, should we not be a little bit more uh, lenient with the amount we use? There's, there's plenty to go around. Because for the simple reason is, is they're not uh, uh, investing properly for the water to be collected in, in, the, in the necessary reservoirs here and there. And in other places, there's plenty of water, so they won't spend it on collecting it. They'd rather spend it on paying their fat cat shareholders. So therefore, and we should have these desalinisation. Desalinisation. That's the word. Yeah, that's the one. We should get some of those. I'm sorry to cut you short. We have to end it. They were running out of time. Mick Dobson uh, from Highwick. And we did put calls into all the water companies in our area, Thames, Affinity, Anglian. None of them wanted to come on the show. Oh, they all sent us very long statements, pretty much saying the same thing, basically saying uh, that on average, this, let me read one, and they all kind of say the same thing. Uh, Anglian Water say, water bills in the Anglian Water region are on average a little over £1 a day. Today we are announcing that following our biggest ever customer consultation, there'll be no increases above inflation in the five years to 2020. They all say very similar things. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Disruption on the trains. First Capital Connect affected Finsbury Park to Moorgate. A shortage of train operators is the problem. 
they're taking tickets on local buses and on the tube. It means some services to and from Moorgate are cancelled throughout this morning. On the roads, the A10 looking slow in Enfield, Bullsmore Lane towards Southbury Road. The A1 is busy through Borehamwood from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. And if you're making an M25 journey, there's slow traffic anti-clockwise into the roadworks from the M11 to Enfield. And it's also looking particularly busy from Junction 18 at Chorleywood, round to 16 at the M40. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Lots coming up in the last hour of the show. Can we find some people who dress smart for work? There's one there who's just walked in right now. We'll find out who after the news with Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's eight o'clock. The headlines. Hertfordshire's Deputy Police Commissioner announced churches links to Wonga revealed and Hertfordshire is among the country's most active counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire's new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner is the former Radio 4 journalist David Gibson. The appointment comes amid disquiet in the panel charged with holding the PCC to account. One member, Roger Seaborn, has stepped down, telling the BBC he didn't want to be associated with a body that is such a toothless, worthless, ineffectual waste of time, money and and space. Those comments are cause for concern for Keith Faz, who chairs the Home Affairs Select Committee. I'm very, very uh, worried about that, that a, that a member of the panel should feel that, that is the case. And certainly when we come to look at this area, we will want to um, hear from that panel member as to why that's happened. A peaceful protest against the closure of children's services will be held at Bedford Hospital this afternoon. Around a 1,000 people are expected to gather at Bedford South Wing from 1 o'clock, led by the Facebook campaigner Ray McKeating. We're um, just going to show our, our force in numbers. We're uh, heading for the Britannia Road entrance and uh, we'll, we'll be down there. Uh, we've got ice cream vans, uh, we'll have music playing and we just generally want to try and make it a, a, a nice friendly affair but let the hospital know that we're not going to take their decisions lightly. The Church of England's carrying out an urgent review of its investments after it emerged that its pension fund put money in a venture capital firm that helped launch the controversial payday lender Wonga. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has said he wanted to force Wonga out of business by expanding a network of credit unions to compete against it. Thousands of people who lost savings in the collapse of Aylesbury-based Equitable Life may never get compensation, as Lee Agnew reports. It took an entire decade for the government to agree that compensation should be paid to those who lost out. But a scathing report by the spending watchdog says little is being done to contact former policyholders before the deadline next March, with over 200,000 people likely to miss out. And it's emerged the Treasury destroyed the names and addresses of more than 300,000 policyholders provided by the Equitable Members Action Group on grounds of data protection. Bedfordshire is one of the least active counties in the country, while Hertfordshire is among the most sporty. That's according to research by Sport England. Barry Caffrey has the details. Bedfordshire has seen a fall in sport participation among the over-16s since 2005, when London was chosen to host the Olympics. The latest figures show that 31% of adults are active. In Hertfordshire, that figure is 39%, and in Buckinghamshire, 37.8%. They are both unchanged since 
since 2005. Staying with sports, Stevenage take on a Manchester United 11 in a friendly at the Lamex tonight. United will field a young side with the likes of Ryan Tunnicliffe and Michael Keane. The weather fine and dry with sunny spells and a top temperature of 25 degrees Celsius. That's 77 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Thank you, Catherine. My week is 57 minutes long. That's all I've got left, and then it's over. Apart from tomorrow and Sunday. That's by the by. We've got some sitar music coming up before 9 o'clock. That'll be nice. Looking forward to that. Also in the last hour of the show was Stuart Hall's 15-month prison sentence for assaulting young girls too short. Well, that's the opinion of the Attorney General and Conservative MP for Beaconsfield, Dominic Grieve, who referred the case to the Court of Appeal. Are you happy with the size of your water bill? Customers in the three counties are the victims of a great rip-off. That's according to Conservative MP Robert Halford. And do you dress smart for work in the three counties? 20 years ago, 30 years ago, everyone would have been wearing suits. Now hardly anybody does, and I think it's a shame. I'm wearing a tuxedo this morning, madam. What have you got on? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 455555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire has appointed a former BBC journalist to be his deputy. David Lloyd appointed David Gibson, a resident in the same village as the Commissioner, to do the job on the £50,000 a year salary. Well, David joins us now. We'll speak to you shortly, uh, David. But first of all, political reporter Paul Scoynes was at the meeting last night in Stevenage. Uh, Paul, who is David Gibson? Well, David Gibson is a former BBC journalist. He's got experience here in the UK and also on the Washington desk of BBC News. He worked in local radio. He's also worked at a fairly senior level on programmes like the Today programme, PM, World at One on Radio 4. So some pretty high-profile news programmes. He was a senior editor at Radio News as well. He is uh, from Flamstead, as is David Lloyd, and uh, David Gibson was a parish councillor. He's also a school governor as well, so they've worked together. Uh, Although Commissioner Lloyd did say he knew most of the applicants and all of the candidates who'd gone forward for the interview, and uh, David Gibson said that that shouldn't be a barrier just because they live in the same village doesn't make it wrong. And David Lloyd said it was important to work with someone he knew well and also someone he knew he could work with. What policing experience does the new deputy have? Well, none to speak of. His his father was a prison governor. Um, But then the job description didn't actually call for any, Ian. Uh, The job description said the candidate will have senior management level experience, potentially in a sensitive political environment, also experience of working at a strategic level and also in the public eye. And David Lloyd said he wanted someone with all-round experience who could be somebody who could maybe take up some of the pressure of the work, maybe deputise, well, obviously deputise for him uh, when he needed to, and also somebody who would be able to bounce ideas off. And it went through okay? It did. It went through the through the police and crime panel which is effectively the sort of the body which oversees the commissioner if you like and that went through eight votes for uh, and three against. The leader of Stevenage Borough Council, Sharon Taylor, says she wasn't going to vote uh, for the deputy, not because of who he was, but because that the 
the role wasn't accountable if you like to the to the public it's not a uh, a, a voted uh, a role so people don't get to have a physical say about it uh, and actually the vote was a little bit of a, a procedure really because the commissioner can make the decision anyway without agreement it's it's not going to be vetoed by the panel and one member of the panel told me he was stepping aside because he didn't want to be associated with a body that is such a toothless worthless ineffectual waste of time money and space and uh, uh, earlier in the program you spoke to Keith Vaz chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee and this was his reaction to that. I'm extremely worried by the comment that you've just uh, read out that a, that a member of the panel should feel that, that is the case and certainly when we come to look at this area we will want to um, hear from that panel member as to why that's happened. We, we hope in our inquiry to be able to talk to Commissioner Lloyd to have him before us to uh, hear what he has to say about the way in which the Commission has operated. Well, and we are joined by David Lloyd, Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire. Are, are you going to appear before the, the, the committee, uh, the, as Keith wants? Well, I haven't uh, been invited to the best of my knowledge yet. Uh, this is, again, typical of Keith Vaz trying to do something rather quietly elsewhere and then uh, to spring it upon you. I know I have colleagues up and down the land who almost at the last day were told, can you appear tomorrow? Um, Keith Vaz has obviously got a very political campaign. He is clearly um, upset at the, uh, uh, the whole institution of police and crime commissioners and if he asks you will you appear oh well if i'm invited to the home affairs select committee i'll be delighted to go along i think that there's a good case to make about uh, how well it's working in hertfordshire how well do you know david gibson who you've appointed as your deputy yes i know him well um he's he's a very very good uh, person he will be a superb deputy he is someone that i can trust entirely and actually you you've spoken something of his pedigree he is a man who really knows hold, how to hold to account he is a man who really gets the issues he is a man who understands what the public require there is a danger here um, and i think we found this in some pcc elections um, that people thought they were standing as chief constable they're not I'm here representing the public, not representing the police. And I think it's really important that we don't appoint someone, and there isn't someone in the role, either a PCC or deputy, who um, just has that inside-the-bubble experience is directly from policing. He's a mate of yours, isn't he? He's someone I know. Mm. I know him well. And I think that's really important. But let's actually have a look at the whole process. Cronyism. People, well, could, people could be levelling that I, accusation. I, I know that you wouldn't. Um, and uh, the, I, I think you should look at the whole process really well. Because um, what I am required to do is just to nominate tell the panel and then get on with it. I didn't think that process was good enough. You'll remember that uh, I appointed a deputy before and that process, uh, I reflected on the process of appointment. That's why I took a good six months before I appointed someone else. I looked at what other people have done. I like to learn mm. from what's happened elsewhere, what's best practice. And you I spent think six months looking for the, the, the last deputy. And I think that I, went wrong, didn't it? Because I didn't spend six months looking for the right. last deputy. The last, uh, the last deputy was appointed right. immediately on uh, my election. Um, and what I... And she was a, a bad choice? She was a good choice, but uh, unfortunately she, uh, she, she had to resign, um, and uh, you know, that was really unfortunate. She paid a very high price for uh, a misplaced tweet. Um, so uh, what I wanted to do was to reflect how we did it. So what I did was I had a very independent process. Mm. I put out on the website, I think I told 
listeners here, uh, you know, we went through various uh, processes to ensure that people applied. 14 did. Of those 14, the vast majority I knew in some way or other. Because frankly, I mean, no, Ian, if you wanted to be my deputy, you'd have to think about it long and hard. Mm. You wouldn't want to uh, apply for, to be deputy to someone you didn't really know for the most part. So most people I knew, and I then got the chief executive to actually shortlist to find out who the best people were and to sit through the interviews. So you've got a very independent process. Why did why did Mr Gibson, who, with his experience at the BBC in various capacities, not get the job of the communications, in the communications team? Well, I think he makes a far better, a far, far better deputy. Rather, and I think th- this was raised last night at the panel. I think that it would be wrong to have someone who's in charge of all the communications to be what is seen as a placeman for he's, the... He's worked on Today, he's worked on PM, World at One, he's worked in local radio. He seems he's, the, he's, the ideal choice for communications. He, he, he has an amazing CV, and that will work really well um, as my deputy, as someone who will be able to look across the piece and will be able to advise me, amongst other things, on how we engage with people. Did you ask him to apply for the communications role? Uh, he... Uh, I, I did, but um, uh, I think he applied, rather I asked him to apply, and let's be very clear about that, because uh, there is a, a danger in suggesting I, I, um, I uh, ask people to do things. I, uh, I, I think it's important that uh, those who uh, want to apply can apply, um, and, uh, but this role is the better role for him. Did you give him the deputy job because he didn't get the communications position? I gave him the deputy job because he is the best candidate by a long way. Uh, we're joined uh, by Councillor Sharon Taylor on the line. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Ian. Uh, you're the Labour leader of Stevenage Borough Council and a member of the Crime Panel. You yes. decided not to vote for this position, although other members of the panel did vote. Are you the only one that thinks it should be an elected position? No, there were, there were three of us that voted against last night after some very, very close questioning of the Commissioner. Uh, first of all, I want to say that my, I've, you know, I've no question about the character or the integrity of David Gibson, and I, I made that very clear at the panel last night. However, the system is fundamentally flawed. We elect a police commissioner from the whole of Hertfordshire. He then appoints a deputy who then becomes a police commissioner should anything happen to the... God forbid, but should anything happen to the police commissioner. I think that's entirely wrong. And I think, you know, the, the process where um, you go out to, to advert, you know, it needs, to, it needs to look like a clear, transparent process. When the end, at the end of that process you end up appointing your mate who lives in the same village, um, there's always going to be a question around what the process was there well, for. I think there are two, I think there are two things there. I mean, I think Sharon was very, very kind last night in, uh, in explaining that this wasn't, uh, uh, and, and again on air this morning, that this isn't about David Gibson's integrity. Mm. And actually, she makes a good point, which uh, I don't think is unreasonable, that um, when appointing a deputy, I think that uh, it isn't unreasonable to stand for election with them, because then we go past that. And I think that's, that's a reasonable point. Um, and uh, I will reflect on that if I stand again in, in how I do it. But remember, that's not where we're at at the moment. I don't have a deputy at the moment, so you're going to have to have a process in place, which is why I went for a very open process. And I think, you know, David made the point last night, and I think most people there agreed and felt it was reasonable that, you know, so do you say you can't appoint someone because you know them? You can't appoint someone because of their proximity. Well, let's put no, that I mean, in that way, uh, that Sharon wouldn't be able to appoint anyone as her deputy. Sharon? No, uh, my deputy is elected by, by people in his ward and then elected by my Labour group, not appointed by me. 
but Hertfordshire is a very diverse county, David. You know, we have um, over a million people in the population. It would be nice to see a little bit of diversity in the police commissioner's office. And um, what do you mean I by diversity? You, you know, I didn't disagree with David that he shouldn't be disbarred from from being appointed. But we have a hugely diverse um, county. Sharon, what do you mean by d- diversity should be displayed? What do you mean by that? Well, I think you know there, there are. You know, for a start, there's uh, to have two people in the police commissioner's office who are like peas in a pod. You know, they're, they're exactly the same. He's uh, a much bigger pea than me, it has to be said. But what do you mean, background. Sharon? By di- what, do you mean, what, do you mean someone of a different age? Do you mean someone of a different colour? What, uh, what are you asking for? I, I just think it should reflect in some way the diversity of the Hertfordshire population. And I just don't believe in tokenism. And David's view on this was that he, you know, their job was to go out and talk to people. And I respect that. Go out and talk to the different people in Hertfordshire. I respect that. But other questions were asked around the fact there was nothing about um, knowledge of policing or the criminal justice system in the job description about whether Mr Gibson was to be a political deputy or a a deputy commissioner. Um, There were lots of questions around the process. My fundamental point is, as David has said, is that the system itself is flawed. We should have a ticket of a police commissioner. I don't agree with police commissioners anyway. very quickly, you you might have heard Keith Vaz earlier on. He's very worried about some of the comments from former panel member Roger Seaborn. He's not the only one who feels a bit disconnected, is he? No, the, the, the panel is relatively toothless. We had no right of veto. I couldn't really see the point of voting on this last night because we didn't have any right of veto over the appointment. But haven't the public... The public have, have elected David Lloyd they because have. they want David Lloyd in that position. So surely they, they trust him enough to choose who his deputy is. But if, if we are to hold the police commissioner to account, the, the police and crime panel surely must have some teeth to be able to um, to be able to talk to the police commissioner in a way that is meaningful, and at the moment I can't see where that those teeth are for the police and crime panel. At the moment, the, the constabulary is doing a fantastic job in Hertfordshire. The, the results are, are amazing, and I, I would congratulate the constabulary on their excellent results this year. Should that not be the case, and there are one or two areas like domestic violence where things aren't getting better. Um, we would want to be very strong in holding the police commissioner to account on that. And at the moment, we have no teeth to do so. Sharon, very, uh, we're running out of time. Last one to you, David. Sharon knows that uh, I'm about trying to get everyone into the tent rather than pushing people out. I actually think the best way of uh, involving people is through that very that monthly meeting I have, that the regular meetings I have with the leader such as Sharon. I think that's the way you get involvement rather than having, a, uh, if you like, a show trial once a quarter which uh, tries uh, to hold to account. I want to use the good ideas that Sharon has about what's happening in Stevenage. I want to work with her on things like domestic violence and I think that's a far better way of ensuring that we reduce crime in Hertfordshire. David Lloyd, Police and Crime Commissioner for Thank you very much, Paul Scoynes and Councillor Sharon Taylor. Thank you very much. We're a little bit late, but let's go and get the travel now. Here's Adam. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Kizzy in M25, anti-clockwise, busy from the M11 to Potters Bar into the roadworks, slow from Chorleywood to the M40 as well, and now delays clockwise going into the roadworks as you go past the A1M at Junction 23. Slow on the speed sensors in Aylesbury, westbound on the A41. It's looking busy from the Woodlands roundabout toward the SO roundabout at Oakfield Road. Busy into London on the A1 southbound. Apex corner toward Mill Hill Circus. There's a queue in Enfield as well on the A10 from Bullsmore Lane to Southbury Road. And disruption for First Capital Connect train services, Finsbury Park, to Moorgate. They have a shortage of train operators this morning. Tickets will be accepted on local buses and on tube services once you get into London. It means that some trains to and from Moorgate are being cancelled throughout this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. 
8.18. It's Friday the 26th of July. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire's new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner is former Radio 4 journalist David Gibson. A peaceful protest against the closure of children's services will be held at Bedford Hospital this afternoon. In sport, UK Athletics Performance Director Neil Black says Jessica Ennis-Hill isn't taking a risk by competing at the Olympic Anniversary Games this weekend. Coming up, dressing smart for work. I'm wearing a tux. Tim Wheeler looks like a docker. Well, do you... (laughs) It's true. Do you still make the effort for work or is this country going down the pan? BBC Three Counties Radio. Roberto Peroni, debating the local issues. Bill Rowe is uh, a guardian angel. He needs volunteers for his Luton chapter. This is not being a policeman. You can't do a policeman's job. It is giving safe passage to more vulnerable people. Roberto Peroni. A red kite has been rescued from a tree in Hertfordshire. There was a lost parrot in the three counties and I was ready to mobilise our best people. Forget snakes on a plane. This is snakes in Hertfordshire. Potentially 27 of them. Roberto Peroni. I love the animal stories. I do the animal stories. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Tim Wheeler. Hey. Tim Wheeler. He's a hell of a guy. Tim Wheeler. He makes me laugh, makes me cry. (laughs) Yeah, mostly crying. Uh, You look like a man who's trying to look like James Bond. Look very smart. Better than um, a member of my team said, oh yes, yes please, I'll I'll order a Bacardi and Coke. Rude. Let's think I look like a waiter. No waiter looks as stylish. Let me stand up so you get the full effect. Okay. Let's have a little look. I've lost a bit of weight recently, so I'm looking. Oh, have you? Don't look at the shoes. The oh, the need, shoes are rubbish. The shoes need a good polish. Yeah, they do. Polish the shoes and the, the socks are... Oh, they're not matching. But apart from that, I'm going to walk around for you. No, you do look good. You look like you're at some kind of an award ceremony with, with canapes or whatever it is you're serving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God! That was straight... I went straight th- through the heart and then up. I'm not making light of gun crime, but I'm no. pretending I'm a spy, so I can... Ian, Ian Lee. What I'm doing as well... Yeah. makes terrible radio. What I'm doing as well... This really does. Sorry. Sorry, guys. It's Friday. When I go for the for the gun, I'm actually doing the jacket. Go for the gun. Pull it out. Pull it out. Ian. Brilliant. Why have you dressed so badly today? Oh, I always dress badly for work, don't I? No one can see me. You're wearing a thick coat. It's the hottest it's July in 247 years. Yeah, but I think it's really cold in the mornings when I get out of bed. Plus, I only wear these tiny t-shirts, so I do need to, <laughs> t- I do need to wrap up. He's smuggling don't peanuts. Uh, what, where is that, is that, where is that coat from? Because I've got this a coat, coat like that. from a Japanese manufacturer. Japanese people make coats? That's yeah, they insane. They make coats, yeah. Insane. I'm not going to advertise, you know, who I wear because I'm. Some people might consider me a trendsetter. I don't want people to. I don't want to give undue prominence to to the clothes I wear. Kelly Betts looks like a magician's assistant, doesn't she? Um. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You do actually. I'm going to cut her in oh, half. And what a lucky magician he would be. Wow. A lucky magician he would be. <laughs> Tim, yeah, I've enjoyed. Morning. I've enjoyed this week. Oh, thanks. You, um. Oh, well, not your show. Sorry, I just meant the week oh, has been a really good week, week for me. Just the week, yeah. Uh, and by coincidence, I've enjoyed it. And by coincidence, yeah. What uh, have you got for well, your last day today? As the last day, it's Friday. Obviously yeah. looking forward to everyone. Jonathan's back on Monday, so you can tune in again. Uh, on this... No, come on. I really appreciate the calls this week. We've had a nice chat, actually. Uh, on the big phone in today, do companies have a duty to employ British workers? The Business and Education Minister, Matthew Hancock, is urging firms not to take the what he calls the easy option... 
of filling vacancies with foreign workers when they could train local people instead. He says that employing British workers would benefit both the company involved and the wider economy. Uh, I think 35% now of vacancies in the UK are filled by foreign workers, but uh, he says more needs to be done to reduce that number. However, the Office for Budget Responsibility uh, has said that we need 60,000 foreign workers to keep our national debt at sustainable levels. Yes. And apparently, Matthew Hancock gets on really well with George Osborne. They're kind of buds. Oh, right. So Hancock's saying we need more British people getting jobs, and George Osborne is, seems to be saying, or the, well, the OBR is saying we need 60,000 foreign workers. So I don't know what the answer yeah. is. But I, what I think is odd... And I love the idea of loads of local people who haven't got jobs at the moment getting apprenticeships and getting trained. People being out of work is miserable. But what I do find strange is that we're in this free market economy. Mm. Surely you employ the person that's best at the job. You would like to think so. You would have thought so. It yep. seems to go against at the entire economic structure of this, of this country to start specifically employing British people. You employ the best person for the job. That's the whole point of Europe. That's the whole point of the freedom of economic migrants to come here and work. So if people want to come work hard, and they're going to work harder than British workers, and I don't know how many phone-ins you've heard or how many times we've done this on the programme over the last few years, employers routinely say, I would love to employ young British people. They come out of school, they don't really know how to present themselves, how to dress, how to speak. Yep. They are unreliable, they're less productive. Why on earth should I give them a job? Yep. So that's the question. So... It's interesting. Do companies have a duty? I'm interested in that word duty. A duty to employ British workers, or do they just have a duty to their to their shareholders and to make sure that they're turning over profit? I've mentioned this before. When we mm. had some work done on our house, we got po- we got Polish workers to do the loft and the kitchen, and loads of people said that is out of order, mate. You should be getting British workers. Did they really? They did. Lots of people did. So I thought, okay, comp- compromise. I'll get a local British firm, two local British firms, one to do the floor, yeah. and one to do the window. Build a new window. Yeah. They were flipping awful. The window was six weeks late. And this guy gave me the biggest load of old baloney I've ever heard. Oh, yeah, the van the van with the window and got stolen. All right. Yeah, my yeah, mum's... by a Polish bloke. Yeah. The, this was one excuse. Where's my window? Oh, yeah, sorry, may not been able to do it. This, you'll, you'll get it Friday. It was promised three weeks ago. All right, my mum's got cancer. He actually said that. I don't believe that at all. He was awful. The floor people, mm. they came in, the Polish guys would turn up at eight in the morning, leave at half seven in the evening. The floor guys, a good, British, long, good long day. Yeah. turned up at ten, left at half three. Took them two days. They could have done it in one day. Then on the last day, they're going. I said, are you going to put the furniture back? You can get the poles to do that. No, I'm paying you to do it. I'm not sure British people have the same expectation of, of the amount of hard work they're meant to put in to get something back. Yep. And I think when people move over here to work, that's what they're doing. Yep. They're moving over here to work. Yep. So, 08459 four double five five double five. Do companies have a duty to employ British workers? Buy in. Buy team. I've really, life, I've really Bye. liked chatting with you in the Bye. Yeah. You don't have to go on a bit, though. Yeah, I know. Oh, dearie me. Uh, I'm wearing my tuxedo today. I just felt like it. We made it Smart Friday, and the whole breakfast team are dressed up smart because I insisted they do. They do as I say. Uh, you can see the pictures on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, well, does it make a difference how you dress for work? Justin Dealey has dressed up rather smart- smartly today. He bribed a dry cleaner to get his suit ready for him. <laughs> and you think it's one of the problems with this country, Justin, don't you, that we don't dress smart enough? Ian, do you know what? You dress smart, you act smart. Do you not feel better about yourself I today? I do. I feel very good, although I'm getting a bit of a headache. Are you? This Why? Tie, this tie's a bit tight. <laughs> it's restricting the oxygen flow. <laughs> you see, I like it. You know, obviously, there are going to be certain professions who have to wear a suit to work, but, you know, 
if you go back, what, 10 or 15 years ago, so many more people, men in particular, were wearing a suit to work, correct? Correct. Yes, they're not anymore. No. I, I've been out and about in Luton this morning. I've been trying to find men who wear suits, and those that don't wear them, I've been trying to convince them to wear suits. It's been hard work. Uh, here's some views for you. Starting with one man who does wear a suit to work. Now, he says that, that men have let themselves go. They're certainly not as smart as they used to be, and he does have a theory. Take a listen well, to this. I think the, a lot of uh, employers have gone casual on that. They've made life easy for them, saying, I, I've noticed the ties off for most of them, definitely. And so there's something only a very few want to wear it. You're looking very, very smart this morning. This could become a regular feature. Do you reckon that Dress Up Friday could be rolled out across the country, started off by myself and Ian Lee? Could mm. it catch on? No, I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. I don't think it will catch on. A lot of people love to wear a casual outfit to work. Uh, I wish I could, but my job orders that I dress smartly. <laughs> Sir, this is one hell of a suit. Can you tell us where you got that from? Hugo Boss. Wow, that's a, an expensive suit. Um, do you think more men should be wearing suits like you? Yeah, I think they should, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know if it's a wind-up or what, to be honest. No, no, this is too early in the morning for me, I'll be honest with you. Mate. I'm being absolutely serious. I mean, more men should be wearing suits, shouldn't they? Well, me and you are wearing a suit, so we should be all right. Eh? I don't know about the others. Doreen, what do you think about my suit, first of all? Come on, look at this bad boy. You look very smart this morning. I've often seen you in leather trousers and... Hey, come on, let's keep that to ourselves. That's a weekend thing, OK? <laughs> it's Friday, it's early in the morning. Let's talk about that later on, I'll give you a call. So, what do you think about men who don't wear suits to work? You don't see men wearing suits to work these days that often, do you? Not really, not really. Perhaps older men you do. Yeah. Older men. Morning, sir. What's your name? Derek. Derek, what do you do for a living? I'm a cleaner. So, what's your excuse? Why aren't you wearing a suit? Um, reason I'm not wearing a suit is um, I look funny if I go into uh, the toilets with a suit on. And I'm cleaning. But wouldn't people love it? I don't think so. Fair enough. Okay, have a good day. Thank you. Leather trousers? When has that ever happened? <clears throat> do we have to talk about this now? Yes, we do. It's a weekend thing, every now and again. It's always the last weekend of the month. I wear leather trousers at the weekend. You massive muppet. And Doreen just happened to see me one day, strutting my stuff through Lucent Town Centre um, on the way out one night. That um, was a bit of a shock. I, I didn't think that many people saw me do that. I tend to go to these, you know, secret places, but clearly she was uh, stalking me. Justin Dealey, thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. On the M25, anti-clockwise, it's pretty busy this morning from the M11 through toward Potter's Bar, so into the roadworks section, it's all slow. As you continue round past Chorleywood and down to the M40, there's another patch of traffic there, junction 18 to 16. Clockwise is looking heavy as you come past the A1M and going into the roadworks that way. And if you're making a journey further round the M25 this morning bit further round into Essex. Clockwise, the road has been blocked by an overturned vehicle between the M11 and Junction 28 at the A12, and it is already causing queues back as far as the Bellcommon Tunnel, so do bear that in mind if you're traversing the motorway and going a little bit further clockwise. Looking at the trains this morning, First Capital Connect running with disruption, Finsbury Park to Moorgate. They have a shortage of train operators. It means some services to Moorgate are being cancelled through this morning and your tickets will be accepted on local buses and on the London Underground once you get into London. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning with the A2.
8.30 News and Sport, I'm Catherine Boyle. Hertfordshire's new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner is the former Radio 4 journalist David Gibson. Hundreds of campaigners against the closure of children's services of Bedford Hospital are expected to gather there for a peaceful protest later. And the Church of England is carrying out an urgent review of its investments after it emerged that its pension fund put money into a venture capital firm that helped launch the controversial payday lender Wonga. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Colin Montgomery's five shots off the lead after the first round of the Seniors Open Championship at Royal Birkdale. The American Gene Sowers leads the field one shot. BBC's Rob Nothman has more. Rounds of 72 haven't often satisfied Colin Montgomery over the years, but he described his first round in his Senior Open debut as a decent effort, especially after three successive bogeys left him at three over par after 12. He'll hope his 9.20 tee time will help him claw back some of the ground. The surprise leader, Gene Sowers is off at 8.40. Two years ago, he spent seven weeks in hospital, suffering from a rare illness that required skin grafts and left him fearing his golf career was over. Meanwhile, the ladies' European Masters begins today at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club in Denham. Bedford's Holly Aitchison is set to take part and is expecting the standard of competition to be high. There's quite a few big names playing at Buckinghamshire, actually. We've got uh, Laura Davis. She's going to tee it up. Mm. And we've got people like Kari Webb, who has... Uh, had an amazing year already throughout the world. She plays in America, she's Australian, won a few majors. Yeah, the, the field is actually extremely good. UK Athletics Performance Director Neil Black has told the BBC he doesn't think Jessica Ennis-Hill is taking any risks in competing at the anniversary games this weekend. The Olympic heptathlon champion's been struggling with injury and only made her first appearance of the season early this week. No such concerns, though, ahead of the games, which start tonight for Bedford's Nigel Levine. He competes in the 400 metres. Wellin's Jodie Williams will run in the 200 metres. Luton's Daisy Tobias is set for the 100 metres, but I'm afraid there'll be no sign of Woburn Sands' Greg Rutherford as he's still nursing an injury. Injury. Football and Luton Town lost last night's friendly against Dunstable Town 2-0, while tonight Wickham Wanderers have a friendly away to Oxford City. And that's your latest news and sport. I'll be back with more at nine o'clock. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh dear. Oh dear. Is this really what we've come to? We've dressed up smart for work, OK? What's your problem? We've posted a picture of the whole team looking wonderful. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Trevor Reynolds needs to get a grip, or not, as the case may be. OMG, I've Googled that. That means, oh, my God. OMG, the girls are hot, hot, hot! <laughs> yeah! The girls are... Come on, they've got brains as well. They're not just pieces of flesh. Shame on you. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine o'clock. Before nine o'clock, we'll have a little bit of sitar, which I'm very, very excited about. But before that, has the Olympics made you more active? It was supposed to be a big bonus of London getting the 2012 Games, but the results of a survey suggest that actually, a year on, it's not had that effect here in the three counties. The number of people doing at least 30 minutes exercise a week has actually gone down in Bedfordshire. And in Hearts and Bucks, there's been no change at all. Well, I'm joined now by Sports Minister Hugh Robertson. Good morning, Hugh. People Good talk morning. about the legacy of the Olympics, but there isn't one really, is there? Well, oh, for goodness sake, really. Um, uh, you know, even for the BBC, that's a real Gloombergist thing to say. Um, the entire area around Stratford has been utterly transformed. The country has already won around about £9 billion worth of extra... People are doing contracts. less exercise, though, aren't oh, they? Wait, just wait a minute. Did you, take, did you get those figures from active people? 
Uh, I will let you know exactly where we got those figures from in about two minutes. Because yes, they I, are from active people, right. yes. Well, I think you should be honest about it then, because if you took the figures at the end of last year, you'd have shown that across the country there were 1.7 million extra people playing sport who were not doing so at the time of the bid. There was a fall-off um, when we looked at the figures last. That was because of the appalling weather. And oh, Hugh, because, listen, because if we're going to no, spar, no, no, you no, can't no, blame no, it on the bad weather. You can no, do sports well, uh, indoors these days. You can, but if you look at the biggest, some of the biggest climbers, they're around those successful Olympic sports, things like cycling. It's a matter of great common sense that people don't take cycles out on the road when there's ice, when there's snow. They tend not to go out running. And actually, if you look at rugby league, there was an extraordinary period when 95% of all their fixtures anywhere in the country were cancelled because of the snow. So actually, if you but look... people playing badminton, play- tennis, playing uh, yeah. volleyball, basketball, these are They're, all indoor things. And by the active people survey, there are 1.4, which, which tests... You have to play sport... Uh, once a week, every single week over the testing period. So, you know, for whatever reason you don't do it one week, you fall out of those figures. Even by that very testing measure, there are an extra 1.4 million people in the country playing sport who are not doing so, and we won the bid. That's what an was extraordinary the, what result. Was the, obviously, it helped London, and you say Stratford has been improved, and it has, and I've seen it, it looks fantastic. What was the, the, the long-term effect for the rest of the country? Well, I, I am, funnily enough, if you'd asked me that question a year ago, I'd have given you the standard answer around the economy, around volunteering, around sport, and around regeneration in Stratford. If you asked me now, the single biggest thing that the Olympics has done is to recalibrate the way that people think about us internationally. Wherever any of us go promoting anything, the very first thing that people say to you is, well done for running the best ever Olympic and Paralympic Games. And that's a calling card. Well, they'll say that to you, you, because you're the sports minister. They won't say it to us. They won't say it to me when I go on holiday. go around being miserable about surveys. (laughs) Well, I'm just reporting the figures. No, it's, um, well, yeah, but you did report them quite selectively as, as as we've, as we've, um, as we've just okay. Here's, here's another survey. BBC no, survey. No, just, wait, wait, no, no. Well, let, let me answer. Let me answer the question you've just put to me. Um, I mean, people do say that to me, but then you know, I tend to go abroad with with businesses who are looking to you know to benefit from the effect of the games. That is incredibly important. That's what drives that extra nine billion, nine point nine billion of contracts that have been picked up since London 2012. BBC survey on the legacy. Eighty-eight percent say that the Olympic Games have had no impact on their overall levels of activity. Yes, and you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful, another example of BBC taking the most extreme possible view. Flip that round. Look at the population. Wait, just wait. Don't interrupt. You're not going to say 12% are doing more, are you? Yeah, well, 12% of the population is between 6 and 7 million people. If, if between 6 and 7 million people, under your survey, proved, of course, by the BBC, are playing sport, that is a result that if you'd offered us before the Games, we'd have bitten your arm off to achieve. Some of those are babies, though. You know, I mean, it, does, it doesn't quite work like that, Hugh, does it? Uh, well, it does. I mean, it's your survey. <laughs> but then you're dismissing it. You can't take bits no, that you like I, I, and bits I, I, you don't like. Well, you're, you're trying to be gloomy and miserable. No, and, I'm trying to report the statistics. I'm no, trying, well, and your it, job, actually, and I'm respecting yes. you for it, your job as sports minister is, is to, to yes, back from and, the other and, side. And, 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 and you're doing if, a cracking job. And if, um, uh, and if under your survey, the sort of survey that you're trumpeting, you are telling me that an extra six to seven million people in this country are playing sport who are not doing so before the Olympics, I'm saying to you that is a fantastic result. Thank you very much to the BBC for helping. You're welcome. Us it doesn't quite. Final thing though, it doesn't quite mean that those 12 percent are doing more sport. They could ah, be doing the same sport. No, well, if you want, if you want to, matter? does that matter? Does that matter? 
Well, it, I mean, it would it mean we, that we, more, we, it would we, mean... No, wait, wait, wait. no we'll just, just stop there. This is fun, isn't it, Hugh? Just stop. It, it, it I'm is, having a great time. Stop, I hope you are. Just stop there. Yes. Um, we, we did not promise when we won the Olympics back in 2005, and I was, I was out in Singapore, that we would get more people playing different sports. We promised that we would get more people playing sport. And thanks to you and the BBC, you have now proved conclusively that there are between six and seven million extra people playing sport. Or, so thank you for that. That is a great result. Six and seven million people doing the same yeah. amount of sport. Well, Hugh, it's... That doesn't matter. If, 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 if we've got, you know, if, if those people are now playing sport, that is a good thing. <laughs> Hugh, I've enjoyed sparring with you this morning. Yeah, Thank okay. you very much. All the best. And be cheerful about this, because it's a good news story. I will do. We've got, we've got some people who are celebrating it coming up next, Brilliant. so don't worry. Thanks. Hugh Robertson there, sports minister. That was a good little sparring. I enjoyed that, didn't we? That was fun. Uh, and we are, we are celebrating it. We are celebrating it. Of course we are, because uh, figures suggest that cycling is one sport, as Hugh mentioned, that does seem to have gained members. Paul Morrissey is a club coach with High Wycombe Cycling Club. Paul, thank you for joining us. You've noticed an increase in people joining your club, haven't you? Yeah, we have. It's uh, massive, really. We've had a, a huge growth in, uh, I want to say, 35-year-olds, basically, and, and sort of kids uh willing to ride their bikes and, and get involved in and race and just get out and do sportives it's gone that's gone quite crazy and is it the olympics and the paralympics that, that have had this direct influence do you think it, it's odd yeah i mean yeah, the olympics have but they mentioned now sort of bradley wiggins has been something obviously that's influenced it a, a, a lot within the tour de france as well but i think the paralympics is it kind of inspired people to think that you know, if they can do it i can do it as well absolutely what what you say thirty five year olds? I, I'm just past that. What what's what's why are they getting so uh, getting on their bikes? It's, well, we call them middle aged men in lycra and middle aged oh. women with middle aged women in lycra, and basically it's when they get out there and get fit and just you know sort of compete in sort of mid low level events. Just want to get out there and, and do something. You know? Middle aged men in lycra is not an attractive sight, <laughs> is it though? Really. It isn't, for, it isn't for about three months, and then they, and then they sort of look a lot better after about three or four months of riding. So. And why are they doing it, Paul? Is it to get fit? Is it to compete? Is it for a laugh? It's a lot of it is to get fit, honestly. A lot of them. The biggest thing is I want to get better. I want to improve. I want to lose this weight. And, and cycling is very accessible. Yeah. Anybody, really. Paul, listen, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Club coach with High Wycombe Cycling Club, 08459 455 555. We're talking about people not dressing smart for uh, for work. And maybe that's what's wrong with this country these days. Peter's in Luton. Good morning, Peter. Oh, good morning. Peter, what are you wearing right now, please? Um, I'm not very smart at the moment, although I, mm. I, I, don't, I have got my trousers on and a short sleeve shirt. Well, I'm glad you've got trousers on. That's always a bonus. It, you're right. What do you think about people dressing down these days? Oh, I think it's terrible. Mm. Well, thanks for calling. Uh, no, <laughs> you, you, you've, got fr- you've got friends who are tailors, have you? I, I have got a, a friend who, um, right. who, who is a dancing colleague of mine. Who, what? Who, um, a dancing is- colleague? Yes, indeed. What is that? A mysterious. Uh, where, where do you dance with this uh, dancing colleague? Um, we, we see him at odd places. Um, I say odd places uh, in, infrequently, but we won't go into that. But um, mm. yes, but uh, we personally, I mean, I've been dancing for sixty odd years. You must be tired. I am tired. You're right. At my age, I'm tired. There we go. You see. Uh, but you think that more people should dress up smart? Indeed. Uh, um, I mean, when I went to work, I was a man. I had a manual job, and it was the norm to wear a tie for work, even on the shop floor. Yes, 
indeed. Not suits, but certainly a tie. They should make... Uh, do you know what? They should make it uh, a sackable offence if you don't meet certain standards um, uh, uh, in your clothing at work. Well, it was, it was certainly frowned upon. Yep. Um, indeed, that's right. I dock mean, dock your people's wages. Or you can put, <laughs> do what we used to do at school. You can pay to have a mufty day. So if you want to dress down, you pay a few quid, but you have to pay for the privilege. Otherwise, it's a tuxedo uh, uh, or a smart suit. Ah, oh, you see, now you've said it again, haven't you? What? This word. Sorry? Tuxedo. Beg your pardon? It's a tuxedo. That's an American's expression. In this country, we have a dinner suit or a dress suit. Well, tuxedo is such a nicer word, though, isn't it? A dinner, a well, dinner suit could mean we, anything. We, aren't we? Only just, Peter. Only just. <laughs> just well, di- I still count myself as British and proud of it. A dinner suit could be an apron. <laughs> it could be. Could, you know, it's a tuxedo. Like, tuxedo is such a smart word. It's, it's an American word, and we, we, um, we don't have to bow to, to Ameri- the Americans for everything. We invented the language, didn't we? Peter, you are right to pick me up on that. I'm normally against Americanism, so I appreciate you correcting me. Thank, Thank you. We got, we got there in the end. I knew there'd be some meat on that raggedy bone. And if we kept chewing, we'd find it. And boy, oh boy, did we find it uh, in the end. Uh, 08459 is the phone number. Got some texts as well. Linny says, Ian, oh, Justin in his leather trousers. Where did I put my blood pressure pills? Disgusting. I can hear music. Oh, is that the sitar upstairs? <laughs> I thought my iPod or something had started. I can hear a little bit of music. How wonderful. Got a uh, sitar coming up soon. Uh, and Nathan at Hempstead says, Ian, I have to suit up for work, but the tie doesn't have to be on. Friday is dress down day, not dress up day. I don't, I'm going to bring ties back, OK? Because ties are lacking. The suit is smart, but this thing of having the open collar, there's something wrong with it. We need to have ties, don't we? It just makes such a difference. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. I'm, I'm at a loss of what to do. I've got a minute and ten seconds to fill. I could look at the front pages of the newspapers, but then we wouldn't really get much detail. I could kind of, you know, talk about what's coming up, but then what? Um, Kelly Betts, any ideas of, of what I could do? I've got 50 seconds now to fill before Adam Glynn and the travel. What, what, Let's have a chat about BBC introducing. Why? Because I'm presenting it tomorrow. When? Tomorrow, 8 o'clock. Where? Here on BBC Three Counties Radio but, and the World Wide Web. But what's going to be on it? Alexis Kings are in session. Full live band. Very good. Where are they from? They're from somewhere in the Three Counties. Anything else? Uh, we've got Miles, who is playing an unplugged session. Yeah. We've also got uh, a Parisa. She's coming in. And also a band called City Lights. OK. And this is, when is this? It's tomorrow, 8pm, BBC Three Counties Radio. Keep your dial switched to that. And who's hosting it? It's Kelly Bear. I'd rather not plug it if that's okay. Okay, all right, that's fair enough. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking slow into the roadworks on the M25 anti-clockwise, Waltham Abbey to Enfield. If you're making a journey a bit further round, clockwise, there are big problems in Essex. The M25 being blocked by an overturned vehicle between the M11 and Junction 28 at the A12. Traffic is solid back as far as the Bell Common Tunnel, maybe a little bit further back as well. So, want to avoid if you don't have to head that way this morning. 
Taking a look at the A41 into Aylesbury, it's heavy at the Woodlands roundabout, and the speed centre is also picking up a delay as you come in toward Watford, and the A412 at the Dome roundabout. On the trains, First Capital Connect disruption Finsbury Park to Moorgate. They have a shortage of train operators, meaning some services to and from Moorgate are cancelled throughout this morning. Your tickets will be taken on buses and on the London Underground once you get as far as London. And if you're trying to get down to Heathrow Airport, there are some minor delays on the Piccadilly Line tube around the airport because of a signal failure. Adam Glynn, BBC. C3 Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, it's 8.46. It's Friday, the 20... Uh, is it the 26th of July? I'm confused with the dates already. Yes, it is. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire's new Deputy Police and Crime Commissioner is former Radio 4 journalist David Gibson. Hundreds of campaigners against the closure of children's services are expected to gather for a peaceful protest at Bedford Hospital later. In sport, former Jordan engineer Gary Anderson believes Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton has a great chance of making pole position for the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend. Coming up, a little bit of sitar, played by a sitar player. Can't ask for fairer than that, can you? What? Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning. Lots of sunshine around today. Sunny spells, really, with a bit of cloud coming and going at times. We've currently got some cloud over parts of Hertfordshire. That will thin and break as we head through the rest of the morning and into the afternoon. Temperatures up to 25 or 26 degrees Celsius. It's going to be pleasantly warm again in the sunshine. Overnight tonight, a few mist patches staying dry. Temperatures down to around 15 or 16 degrees Celsius. All of our weather is going to happen tomorrow, really. Now, it will be a dry start to the day. Some hazy sunshine around through the morning but then some showery rain spreading up from the south so northern areas of uh, Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire staying dry for longest I suspect. We are going to see that rain turn heavy and thundery as we head through the late afternoon and into the evening. A Met Office weather warning out for the ferocity of all of this rain. Um, We could possibly see some localised surface water flooding in places. Hail, thunder, all possible I'm afraid tomorrow night. It will clear on Sunday leaving us with a dry and a bright day. Temperatures again into the um, into the low 20s in Celsius and some sunny spells. That's the forecast, Ian. Thank you very much. If you've got a problem with a company, a council or an organisation, there's one man you should come and speak to. You've got a problem with a mattress, I gather. Tell me all about it without naming any company name. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Well, every time she tried to book, the trip was cancelled because of adverse weather. The JVS show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems. Said send the receipt off and you'll get the cheque in the post. If you need our help... I went to speak to the man that runs this golf club. Email jvsshow at bd. .co.uk. I'm just very pleased that you've got the money. And we could do the same for you. Thanks ever so much, Jonathan. The JVS Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, very, very exciting. Uh, we've got Paul Jackson from Buckingham, who's here with his sitar. And Justin Dealey, you've come down to watch the sitar as well. No, not exactly. Sorry? Not exactly. What? what, no, what? Well, I've lost my key fob. I'm not happy about that. Right. But secondly, twice this morning... Yes. I thought we'd got over these problems. Yep. Twice this morning, you've yep. been plugging a music programme. What about the mainstream music? Music programme of the weekend tomorrow morning from nine with me. I've got Eric Burden on the show. Forget about these bands that nobody's heard of. Eric Burden tomorrow from nine. I'm not plugging your show. 
You just have. Oh, nuts. Get out. Thank you very much. Now, join. you can stick around if you want. Paul Jackson is uh, from Buckingham. He's here with us. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. It's always... Uh, I'm glad... I, I don't normally have my guests sitting on the floor. It's not a power trip, but you have to sit on the floor yes. to play that ball. That, that is a fantastic piece of kit. Look at that. It is, yeah. Is it... How old is that? Um, I'm not too sure, but I've had it about... 17 years and where do you get a sitar from these or those days well I, I was really lucky because a friend uh, went to India yeah. and he came back uh, and he, he brought it for me oh, it's bless a proper him. genuine what made you yeah. what made you learn the sitar why, why not a um, ukulele or well a... I'm, I'm originally a guitar player right and I've been playing that f- since uh, I was seven and uh, played in bands for years and um but it's just something that I've always liked, you know, the, the sound of the sitar. And then I saw Ravi Shankar play um, wow. at the stables um, before it was developed. So yeah. it was a very intimate gig, and I was blown away, and I just thought, wow, I'd love to try that. Fantastic. Now you've got a little traditional Indian raga to play for us. Yeah. Is that right? Should we yeah. have a little listen to that? Okay.
fantastic that was brilliant <laughs> thank you very much always, I say this every week there's always a worry when a guest comes in you think what if they're not any good that was amazing thank you very much that man. was amazing thank did sure. you teach yourself to play is that yeah, right yeah I did you know uh, being a guitar player I um well uh, you know I kind of learnt learnt by ear with a sitar yeah um I, I with my job, a um, bit of a strange job. I, I fly falcons uh, on a landfill site, and I used to live on site in a caravan. Yeah, and because uh, I didn't have any electric or anything, I didn't really have any exterior stimulation. So um, I kind of put all my efforts to uh, brilliant working out the sitar uh, for six and a half years, and. After 20 years of playing, I'm still just dabbling, really. There's, there's no Burt Whedon easy, guitar, easy sitar guidebooks or anything, then? Not that I'm aware of. If there is, like, let me know, because... Uh, it sounds awesome. Listen, I know you've got another song for us. We may run out of time, and no you're going to sing on this. Yeah. If, if we do run out of time, I'll kind of give you the sign. That means keep playing, but stop singing, and we'll go to the travel, if that's all right. Very quickly, is there a website or anything you want to plug or anything yeah, while you're here? Um, my band called The Omnivibes. Yes. Uh, we're on Facebook, um, and we're play lots of gigs um around um quite a few places beds uh, oxford cambridge uh, sometimes london all over really where, wherever we can get them we will give us the link we'll put the link up on our facebook page as well so people can look for the omni vibes but yeah. you've got you've got another song for us let's yeah, have it great. well this is um this is a, a a blues piece on the sitar yeah i kind fantastic. of um kind of figured that the delta blues goes well with this brilliant um, but give this a go it's called a, it's a song I wrote called Let Me Fly let's have it away you go I got a whole lot of problems, baby Please don't make you one of mine well, I've seen a whole lot of places Never know what I might find Oh, yeah I've met a whole lot of people Still can't shake you out my mind She said she loves me, Lord Show me no more Go find yourself Cause no one Dread my heart into the floor Oh no more If you don't want no part of it Let me fly until the dawn Until the dawn Yeah, I'm flying. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna be a whole lot of trouble, baby. Every day till I die. See what's going on. Go find yourself, no, no, no. Never know what I might find. Oh, and if you don't want no part of it, let me live, let me fly, let me fly on oh my yeah. I'm flying on now, yeah. 
please don't make you wanna mind I seen a whole lot of places Never know what I might find It's always rude when I have to do this. Keep playing, Paul, because that sounds amazing. Let's get the travel. Here's Adam. Adam, away you go. Thank you very much, Ian. M1 London bound, a bit slow from Redbourne toward Hemel Hempstead, junction 9 to 7. On the M25, anti-clockwise, you've still got that busy section from Waltham Abbey to Enfield going into the roadworks. Problems if you're making a journey further round on the clockwise side. Still severe delays round into Essex after an overturned vehicle between the M11 and the A12. So they've got two lanes shut past the scene of that, and it's slow through the Bellcommon Tunnel. On the trains, First Capital Connect disrupted Finsbury Park to Moorgate because of a shortage of train operators. That means tickets are being taken on local buses and on the tube, and a lot of services into and out of Moorgate could be cancelled this morning. Also disruption for the Piccadilly Line tube if you're trying to get down to Heathrow Airport. There are no trains at the minute on the Piccadilly Line between Heathrow Terminals 1, 2 and 3 station and Heathrow Terminal 5. So they're still running into Terminals 1, 2 and 3, and they're still running into Terminal 4. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. And thank you very much, Paul Jackson. That was wonderful. Yeah. What a great set. Thanks for He's having playing me. the blues on a sitar. <laughs> it shouldn't have worked, but it did. That was brilliant, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You check out Omnivibes, his band, on Facebook. I'm back. Tim's up next. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, good morning, thank you Ian. Tim Wheeler here, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith at nine o'clock. It's the big phone-in.